From the Matt Singh Flight School at Dairy Farmers Stadium, it's the Rugby League Cemetery. Yes, this is the Rugby League Cemetery. Good to have you with us for episode 11, North Queensland 30, Canterbury 22. Apologies for the delay. I know people have been sitting at home hanging out for this week's Cemetery episode. Thanks very much to Bavesh from Airtasker for getting us over the line uh, in decent time to get this episode up and going. Uh, we are, of course, going back to 2004, which uh, you know doesn't seem that long ago, but uh, it's one of the great upsets in finals history. And I've got to say, personally, one of my favourite games of all time. Uh, Canterbury 22. Uh, I guess the reason it was such a great upset is that if you go back through the history of the Cowboys prior to this match, um, it, this was the first year they'd ever made the finals. Um, it's also the first year they'd ever finished higher than 11th. Um, they'd won three wooden spoons. They'd won it in their first year out of 20, mind you, 20th out of 20. Then they won the spoon in Super League. So they finished behind the Rams and the Reds and the Mariners and all these sides. Then they won the spoon again in the year 2000. Let me just run you very quickly through their, their full list of seasons, if you'll indulge me. 20th, 17th, 10th, that's Super League. 16th, 16th, 14th, 13th, 11th, 11th. And finally, in 2004, they made the semifinals for the first time. Um, meanwhile, Canterbury, they'd been on top of the table or thereabouts all year. They finished second only on points difference with 42 points. This was the year that them and the Roosters were completely dominant over the rest of the competition. Next team finished five points behind. Canterbury had only lost five games all year. Um, Gazzy, th this game, you know, going into it, and I remember this as a kid, I remember watching it as a 12, 13-year-old. I'm thinking this isn't going to be much of a game. <laughs> this, is, this is one of the great mismatches in finals history because all through our childhoods, the Cowboys were a joke. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. They had no right to be in this game in any aspect. And, and that Bulldog side is one of the greatest teams of, of the modern era. Uh, that forward pack is probably the best I reckon you and I would have ever seen running through, uh, you know, O'Mealy and Price in the front row, uh, Bobcat Ryan with Willie Mason in the second row on the bench. You've got um, yeah, Roy Asatasi, who's got a fair claim to being one of the best props of our time. Uh, with uh, the great Sonny Bill Williams, of course, and I'm um, forgetting someone else they had as well, Rennie Matua. Rennie Matua, who, yeah. Uh, he's a bit, bit forgotten because he sort of, you know, went the way of the horse drugs, but he was a very, <laughs> very good player. Uh, he played for Australia before all that had happened. He, you know, this was, this was the forward pack of our time where they started at the papers at the time, they were comparing this to, you know, some of the great packs of the seventies, going all the way back to the dragons that they were really going through saying, this is the pack to compare nearly any errors to, weren't they? Oh yeah, absolutely. And then it's a wonderful side. I'll, I might just run mm. you through them quickly. Um, the bulldog side, Luke Patton at fullback, Hazamel Masri, Ben Harris, Willie Tonga, Matt Utai across the back four. And then Anasta and Sherwin in the halves, O'Mealy, Perry, Price, Mason, Ryan, Grimaldi, there's not many gaps there. And then on the bench, thanks very much, as you mentioned, 
Randy Matua, Corey Hughes, Roy Asatazi, Sonny Bill Williams, and coached, of course, by Steve Folks. Meanwhile, for the Cowboys, uh, it's a little bit different. Matty Bowen, of course, at fullback. Ty Williams, Josh Hannay, Paul Bowman, and Matt Singh, uh, wingers and centres. David Miles and Nathan Feen in the halves. And the forward pack, Paul Rahihi, Aaron Payne, Shane Tronk, Luke O'Donnell, Billy Southern, and uh, the captain, Travis Norton. And on the bench, Rocket Rod Jensen, Lee McWilliams, Mitchell Sargent, and Glenn Morrison, and coached by, Glenn, uh, coached by Graham Murray. Uh, you don't look at those two lineups, even 15 years later, um, you don't look at those two teams and think, geez, the cows will get this. No, no, you don't. A couple of observations, I suppose. Firstly, it's a unique time in human history that Tony Grimaldi gets picked ahead of Sonny Bill Williams, Roy Zatasi, yes. and Randy Matua. <laughs> I think you have to pick a very specific time in human history, sort of, you know, after death, that there is a, you know, there's only so many, so many games where that's a possibility of happening under any sort of reasonable mind. And uh, secondly, you know, you went through the Cowboys side. In those halves there, I don't know if they've picked a Cowboys best ever side, but I think those two would be very stiff to sort of miss out on the halfback spot, wouldn't they? Miles and, and Feeney, like they think they'd be up for the yeah. halfback role for the Cowboys. Yeah, I think that's right. It's funny when you think, it's, it's just, you have to get, people People think about this game straight in your head, that like, this is not the Jonathan, you know, we think about the Cowboys now, and Jonathan Thurston, Jason Taumalolo, all of these guys who, you know, Matt Scott, all of those really elite players who were in the state of origin side they won a grand final michael morgan you know this is not that side (laughs) this is this is the cowboys of 10 years of nothing you know tim Tim sheens took over couldn't do anything um you know they had they had three coaches who just couldn't get them moving finally graham murray takes over in the middle of 2002 just a side note if you'll graham murray took over from murray hurst Do you think double Murray? Yeah. Double Murray. Do you yeah. think there's ever yeah. been a time where a coach, where the, the the coach taking over has had the first name, which is the last name of the coach he was taking over from? Do no, you put me on the spot there. Do you um, think it's really good to come up with that? I think, yeah. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. You put me on the spot. Yeah. And it'd be like if Michael Hagen was replaced by Hagen Smith. Yeah, be keen. Exactly. Hagen, I don't, there is no Hagen, some, but you know what I mean. Yeah, I do. I do. But just, was, you know. Yeah, the, the thing with those, um, what, what's really interesting, just as a little aside that's not really going to anything, but it's worth noting that Jonathan Thurston is unpicked for the Bulldogs yes. in this game. Like, so just to make the point that, like, not only is Jonathan Thurston not in the team for the Cowboys, uh, and, you know, he's very soon to be in the team for the Cowboys, uh, but, and, you know, he's very soon to win a Dally M medal for the Cowboys, but at this particular point in history, not only is he not there, he can't make the team they're playing not, against while they're running David Miles. That's right. No. He's not considered he's good not enough to play for their opposition. That's how good, the, yeah. how strong this bulldog side was. Um, yeah. Twelve months off winning a Dalian medal, playing yeah. for the Cowboys. Like, it it's not bit, like, oh, you know, he came good later. No, no he, and it sounds there. a bit silly now. Like, it sounds a bit kind of crazy that Brent Sherwin was in the team and Jonathan Thurston was on the bench. But Brent Sherwin had come second in the Dalian two years earlier and was a very well regarded player at the time. Well, they led the competition in 2002 and got disqualified and they made the prelim in 03. There was no real sense they needed to sack the halves. No, exactly. You know? <laughs> um, the other thing about this cow side, it's, can I say, this, this North Queensland team is one of my favourite sides of all time. This mm. one, you know, um, with Matty Bowen and Ty Williams and Matt Singh and all of this, those wonderful tough forwards that they had. They lost mm. five of their first six games in 2004. So there is every chance that 
this is going to be another year where they win the spoon or come 13th or just do nothing, you know? And um, <clears throat> it's only that they win six of their last eight in the run-in to get themselves into the finals for the first time in their history. Yeah, well, well, that's it. that's the thing, isn't it? The the roster's got some really good players on it, but it is the sort of roster that misses the finals. So we, we um, you watch teams every year where you go, yeah, they could sneak in. They've got some good players. They win some games, and they sort of can sneak into six some years, and other years they come twelfth. It's that sort of roster. I'm not bagging them either. They they did wonderfully well, and they go yeah. on a bit of a run from here. But they, you know, it's the sort of side that can lose games as well. It's not a. There's no sort of sense that there's such a consistent roster here that you're just going to walk away with 14 wins or something. You, you, you know, you might get on a run, you might not. And you know, starting with that sort of losing five or six or whatever, I wouldn't have been betting on them to make the finals. It's not like a a Roosters or a, you know, the Broncos of 99 or something where you go, come on, they're just too good. They're going to get hot at some point. It's, yeah. you know, there's no, no thought of that to me. I no. don't believe they went into that year going, oh, they've got, you know, this team, this team's different. They've built the roster or anything like that. It wasn't a huge sort of whip around them as coming good or anything like that. No, time. I don't think so either. Um, and, and they only, they won 12, lost 11. So it's not as if, you know, mm. um, but going into, oh, sorry, won 12, lost 12. Um, going into the finals, Canterbury, by contrast, who had finished equal first, um, they won 12 of their last 13 in, to, in the regular mm-hmm. season. Um, they beat Newcastle 52-6 in the second last round and then beat the Warriors 54-10 in the last round. Mm-hmm. They'd only lost five times all year. Uh, th- th- this is th- they having one of the great seasons in the NRL era. They're still not good enough to win the minor premiership, which shows how good that Rooster side was that they end up playing in the grand final. But it's just a marker that it's not as if there were no signs at all that they were ripe for an upset. They were they were on, they were steamrolling through the competition. Yeah, and they were that good. You know, that's not. I don't even think of them as being on a hot streak. That's how good they were. They were too good for all the teams they played. They're a fantastic side. They, there's not many teams. Um, you know, we've talked a bit before about the unfair teams that got put together at about reunification of Super League that were miles over the cap. They're about the only teams I can think of that might have a crack at this Bulldog side. This is one of the great teams yep. of um, the NRL era and one of the great teams since I've been alive long enough to think about it. I'm not talking about great over 10 years or five years. I'm talking in a season. If you go pick the teams that have won the comp, this team was unstoppable there, there was Melbourne the year they beat the Cowboys in the final a couple of years ago like that was yeah. a team where you just knew they were storming through and there's been a couple like that this was one of these sides this was a side where the whole way through they were playing in the grand final yeah and this is one of the rare occasions where you actually have two of those in the same year like yeah that yeah. the Roosters were just as good as the cow uh, as the Bulldog side you know uh, and they just happened to be at their both at their kind of zenith at the same time the question was who, when were they, the question was like let's just get through to them playing. Yeah. Uh, everyone thought that. There's no sense someone was going to get knocked off. Yeah. Of, in this yeah. week, it was we're going to get through the finals. They're going to play each other, and it's going to be great. That was the yeah sort of thought. So let's let's get on with it. Um, on the night though, first week of the finals, second playing seventh, uh, it became clear reasonably early that it wasn't quite going to work out that way. Yeah. Well, pretty much straight away. Um, you know, we'll obviously get into the specifics of the game later on, but to sort of talk generally, I suppose, and give a picture of this, the Cowboys just tore them apart. Like, yeah. they, they, they come out of the blocks. Um, they're, they're just tearing them apart with up-tempo, fast football, dummy half running. 
one out running from small men. So they'd go, you know, Aaron Payne goes from dummy half a lot. Nathan Fien runs from first receiver a lot, as in gets it and darts and takes off. And these little guys all around the middle just absolutely tore them to shreds, didn't they? Yeah. And the forwards, you know, set, set a real platform for them. The, the, you know, Tronk, who I love to talk about at any given time, um, was really strong. Uh, Paul, Paul Rahehe, if you, you'll indulge me for a second, oh. is a really underrated here, here. Oh, the Rahehe is one of the absolute oh, guns. He, he is a Cowboys legend and should be spoken about in terms of his impact on that club the same way Matt Scott is. He, he carried them. He went into that side at around this era and dragged them into competitiveness with his ability to do what he did in this game. He walks out there and you would not know that you know, he's playing against the best pack of the modern era. He is every bit as impactful and good as every player on that Bulldog side, as much as that's Atasi, O'Mealy, Mason, Price. He, he is every bit as good as those guys. And he tears into them. He offloads the ball. And it really gives these these sort of um, small men they had around the middle. I mean, Matt Bowen's your obvious one, but they had the, the, their hookers did great. The halves were doing it. Everyone was just nipping and taking off through the middle. And they just, it was dead set like they had the, the go sign, you know, like the green light. They were just waving through the middle of them go after go until you went shit they're so far in front they're not going to get caught yeah you know and that's we'll it. Talk that's, that's, later on yeah. they're so far out it was over like in in every sort of realistic sense before you blinked wasn't it yeah they get out to uh they get out to 16 nil uh and then mm. they end up at then later on they get out to 26 six um and and that's it and i remember watching this as a kid and just so because it wasn't just that they were scoring it was that they were carving them up it was like you sort of think, what is happening out there? Because <laughs> you've just been watching the Bulldog side just mow everybody all year. It's just stampede over every side in the comp. And then all of a sudden, you've got this, this Cowboys side. You've been watching the Cowboys get absolutely belted for 10 years. And th- th- they just slice them open time after time, exactly like you say. You get guys like, um, you get guys like Aaron Payne just looking like absolute superstars, just slicing through the middle of all these you know, $500,000 a year forwards. Um, yeah, it's, it's extraordinary. Uh, I think b- before we get into all of that, uh, we probably need to, uh, there's a couple of things. We'll, we'll talk about the first half, but just before we do, um, I don't know about you, Gazzy, but uh, I was very pleased to see when I clicked onto the link for this game, I was very pleased to see Kenny Sutcliffe uh, telling us where we were and who was playing. <laughs> I, this, this has been going on a long time now. Channel Nine, they will, they will Kenny out for the big games. And uh, mm-hmm. you know, a friend like of mine, second v seventh, like second v seventh in the first week of the finals. It's like if you want to yeah. signify that things are more important, you get Kenny. And all he does is just say. Welcome to Stadium Australia. It's the first week of the finals between the Canterbury Bulldogs and the North Queensland Cowboys. Now let's go to our commentary team. Here's Ray Warren. That's it. <laughs> Does he have any knowledge about any sport? Not, to, any I, not that I'm aware of. I don't know. I don't think he watches any sport. He just goes home. He does his, He does that and then goes home, I think. He's just back from Wimbledon, yeah. This yeah. Time, I <laughs> That's right. You know, one of the great jobs of all time, Ken Sutcliffe. Can I just say, I don't know. I was about to say that, yeah. One of the great gigs ever, doing that for a He's he's just going to these things for free, you know. Yeah, 
yeah, and then everything yeah. else is tax deductible. It's free there, and anything he does there is on tax deductible. So what's best job? He just flies around these sporting events everywhere. The problem is, you and I'd be trying to get if we were Kenny Sutcliffe, we'd be trying to go. Yeah, you really need me to intro like the the Titans versus the Warriors at six o'clock every Friday. Yeah, like yeah. ship me up to the Gold Coast, introducing the uh, the six pm Fox game with ten thousand people watching and two thousand in the crowd. But it's <laughs> we're trying to get to every round. But it is, isn't it? Fantastic yeah. job. A friend of mine always says, where would we be without Kenny Sutcliffe telling us who, who's, where we are and who's playing? Like, it's all, it's all he's got to offer. <laughs> um, and then immediately, when, when anything beyond that is required, he palms it off, off, off to Rabs or Sterlow or someone. Yeah. Someone who knows the sport. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He doesn't do any it's of the heavy um, lifting. Yeah. No, I'm glad you brought that up because while we're on Channel 9 institutions, yes. I think that's a really good segue. So this game is held during Andrew Johns' ACL season. He's out with the ACL and, and got the big deal with 9 as part of his... It was the great era then when if you wanted to keep someone in the game, like Channel 9 were like headlessly allowed to offer them fat de- like life deals as commentators like to keep Andrew Johns at the Knights, which seems really unfair yeah. now for, you know, viewers. For example, you know, the Cowboys at this time and you know, running Fiend and Miles, you might think it's unfair the Knights could get a Channel 9 media deal to, anyway, give Andrew Johns just as an aside. But Joey is wearing on the sideline the Channel 9 blazer. And I just wanted to say, when did that go? Because these crap Armani nonsense Russell Crowe suits they were in these days. Remember, like, how good were the Channel 9 blazers? That signified you knew what you were doing, a bit of gravitas. Yeah, with the the really ugly yellow logo as well. Yeah, Yeah. well, ugly to some. Yeah. Well, where did that go? I don't know. That I, I sort of never knew it was gone until I saw it again. And I thought, where did that go? Yeah. But it wouldn't yeah. be right. Like, you couldn't... The trouble is, you couldn't have James Bracey wearing it. It wouldn't be right. No, you know, you're the, right. The bloke who hosts Friday Night Football now, like, it's not... Yeah. You, you sort of do need stocky ex-footballers wearing them, really. <laughs> and you yeah. need them to be really poorly cut. Like, they were always... They were always yeah. ill-fitting and, like, with massive lapels and, yeah... It always looked good on Blocker, speaking of ill-fitting. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I imagine he's easier to tailor for. <laughs> Three bed sheets Blocker, wide. <laughs> yeah. Blocker was the king. Fatty used to went through a real phase of, um, of the button-down collar with the pattern tie with a kind of the, bla- the, the Channel 9 mm. blazer with the button-down collar, like blue chambray shirt and, yeah, then, and then a pattern tie. Yeah, really good look. Uh, I'm glad mm. you brought that up. I, the very odd commentary situation on this game. You've got, because this is the Saturday night, first week of the finals, double header, which mm. is one of the, by the way, one of the great nights of the year. Um, oh, yeah. But because they've had to split the commentary team, you've got Rabs calling the game with Gus and Chief Harrigan up in the box, which I found yeah. very, very jarring. And then Matthew and Andrew on the sideline together with Matthew kind of interviewing Andrew. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's not playing or got any involvement in the game. The game. game but he's a current yeah. player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With no, yeah, no involvement in either club. It is. It's a wonderful representation of Knights. Um, it in is. That sort of it is. Situation. The, the chief. It's a good one. There's a couple of commentary things I've got for you on that. If you'll indulge By me. Um, the chief, right? Um, <laughs> to jump to to jump ahead a little bit. The chief, because I, I heard the chief do the '99 Grand Final stuff horribly awkwardly mm. a few weeks ago, and it's good to know that his uh, self-assuredness had, had reached this point by 2004. So the Cowboys obviously hold them to about six in the first half, and the chief is then tossed out. If I had to describe the Cowboys' first half defence, I'd describe it as honest. <laughs> <laughs> 
What does that mean? I'm what not does sure. it mean? Nothing well, yeah, of defended well. Good. Just say they defended well. It doesn't mean they were no, honest, they're honest, honest about it. They just kept, yeah, they like, kept turning up. Yeah. Well, they kept tackling them and then running yeah. through them when they had the ball. It was very honest. There was nothing yeah, deceptive it's good about that. it. They just tackled them. There's and, a, there's uh, a, the second there's... one, sorry, uh, the, the second one was just Gus. And I thought this was a little precursor. Um, when they throw to Gus at the beginning, he tosses out that the Cowboys have been warming out, up out on the field, which will do them the world of good. I did see that. I've got that written down as well. <laughs> Why? I don't know. I mean, he's right. As usual, the great, mm. you know, the great man knows football. But, but yeah. why, would, why would it do them the world of good I'm that they've warmed sure. up on the field? I don't give know. me something. I, why? You know, well, well, I, the, the, the thing about this, and something that I had to remind myself about this game, the Cowboys were, and you correct me if I'm wrong here, but the Cowboys were never on Channel 9. Like at all. No, because they, they, they were terrible. Put teams whose best they, result is 11th on Channel 9. No, so they never they were never on Friday Night Football or Sunday mm. Football, pretty much at all. They were very much a Fox Sports, Super Saturday filler kind of team. Mm. And, and that meant that, like, there were a lot of instances during the game where the commentators know nothing about the players, particularly Rabs. He can't recognise them because he hasn't won Lee, Lee McWilliams. You know what I mean? He doesn't, he, he kind mm. of doesn't know who he is. And also, that there's this real, it's like they're talking to an international audience. They start explaining things about the Cowboys team, because assuming <laughs> that nobody who's watching has ever seen them before. Yeah, it's, it's quite funny. But so this was like, this was their first ever time in a match of interest to the rest of the competition, almost, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Outside so, of the teams they're playing, I don't think anyone, they'd never played in a game that anyone else was bothered by. No, so there was this real like, this is real kind of like, oh, how are they going to cope with the occasion? Because this is their first time, you know. Mm-hmm. There's a real condescension around them the whole game. Oh, um, there is, yeah. Yeah. Uh, wasn't it good to see? Uh, wasn't it good to see Tim Mander? Uh, I didn't, unfortunately, couldn't pick up a woohoo over the. Um, no woohoo. No. Yeah. Maybe no they woohoo. Just, I don't know why. Turn it down. I, neither do I. I was very disappointed. PC um, rubbish. Exactly. Exactly. Mm. Um, the start of this game is really interesting. The, because it looks like, like you know, the bulldogs are all over them, more or less. Mm. The, the, they they sort of assert themselves fairly early, uh, and then eleven minutes into the game, they have three straight sets at the cows' line, and they're just going to score. Like it's like, oh, the cowboys are holding their gloves up here, but the dogs are going to score. There is one of the great cover tackles of all time uh, by, oh, it's not even really a cover tackle; it's just a triceover from Travis Norton on Willie Mason. And all of a sudden they've held out three sets of six on their own line. Mm. And then Ty Williams makes a break up the field. He's bundled out by, he's bundled in over by Patton. Steve Price slows him down and Steve Price is on his way to the sin bin. And that's the first time I think where you go, well, hang on, this is not, this might, this isn't what we're expecting. Mm. Yeah. And a couple of things there, um, Talk a bit about him later, but I'll tell you what, Willie Mason, people forget because oh, yeah. he became this lumbering big man later. But, geez, when he was an edge back rower and he was young, he was so good. And I, I remember it, but you just forget because you got seven years of him being an okay middle forward at the end. Yeah. When he was young, he was absolutely – he was so fast and powerful. I, and in a game they got hammered, every run he takes was just mad, maddeningly hard to stop. You know, I, had that exact got, same, yeah. I had the exact same note, like – that mm. because of how long he was, like he played for so many clubs after Canterbury, like he was mm. sort of fairly, he was okay, but not that great at the Roosters. And then he ends up at North Queensland and Manly and Newcastle and all this yeah. and played in England and played rugby and all this. Like you just, you forget how good 
how good he was right at the start. Like it's, it's kind of been forgotten mm. because he became this kind of honest toiling guy who was a bit too good, like was a bit better than he should be for his age and all of this. Um, yeah. He was sensational, just rambunctious. Yeah. yeah, one of the best forwards in the world for a couple of years there. Yeah. Um, the other thing was, before we get to the actual sin binning, far out that Ty Williams leaves Hazamel Masri dead on that run. Like it looks like he's running around someone in slow motion. It's sort of like... Moses Suley running around one, you know, Inglis with the ACL the other year when he had, when he was at no ACL and just got run around. Like, it looks like they've got this, like, kid who hasn't played before and then he's just run around him. He's so fast, yes. isn't he? Oh, he's blinding. Like, he just leaves him dead. He was really exciting. fast. He was a great There's no player. room on that. There's no room there. No. Like, there's a... no room outside El Masri. He just takes it. He, takes he was it. so he good, Ty out. Williams. I used to love watching him. Remember the night, and I've brought this up with you before. Remember the mm. night that he grubbed into the end goal from about five yards out and ran around outside the field to play around the corner post and then put of course it down. I do. Ran back into the yeah. goal and put it down. Of course yeah. I do. He also um, scored one from about 108 metres out. I'm pretty sure he scored yeah. one from, like from his own dead yeah. ball line and ran through it. Yeah, he, he, was, he was freakish. He's a good player. He's a good player. That might be as an organic time as any to raise a matter that I have raised with you before and I'd yes. like to raise again, which has is that have there since this time ever been two wingers wearing headgear at the same time in the same day? No, I, I don't think so. Um, we talked about, um, well, we raised mm. this in regard to 98 when I said yeah. Daryl Halligan and uh, yeah. help me out here, maybe Gavin Lester were both wearing headgear. Um, yeah, two people anyway, yeah. Yeah, both on the, both on the wings. Um, mm. But I don't think, I think this would be the last time. You don't, I mean, you very rarely see headgear at all anymore. Never mind on the wing. Yeah. Yeah, they should bring back that headgear, by the way. That's the headgear Absolutely. everyone should be forced to wear. The you red off. wear it. The, the yeah, sleeve off. Yeah, yeah. I think I had really that. Really thick, yeah. obnoxious padding at the back of the head. Yeah. Um, I think yeah. that's the one I I think that's the one I did some of my best work in. Yeah. It looked good, in you, good on you. Absolutely. It did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You and the pearl. That's right. Well, there was a lot of in the pearl. got a lot in common. Um, <laughs> yeah. It, 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 you're right about that. It is something that's gone out of the game and it should come back. There is a lot, well, there is a noticeable amount of headgear in this game. It's funny, you, you don't realise how quickly it just disappeared. Um, the other thing about this, even though, even from the start of the game, I've obviously decided, look, we're, we're outgunned here, so we're going to have a real mm. crack and we're going to take some chances. And the Ty Williams thing comes from them spreading the ball in their own half really early in the game. And they never give up on it all the way through. They just keep offloading, passing, just pass and move, pass and move. Um, they, they take some outrageous risks. Uh, but that was what, they, obviously, they decided that's what they had to do. Because you can't, and you see this all the time now, where teams just go out with a plan that, at best, will get them beat 18-6. But the, Cowboys, the disc Cowboys side in this mm. game, they had to do something differently. And they acknowledged that and did it. And were prepared, and if yeah. they get beat 40-0, well, what, who cares? Yeah, that's right. You've got to be prepared to lose games, to win games sometimes. Um, you know, uh, a, you know, modern examples, just uh, I know they had a win on the weekend, but the Dragons have been a lot like that this year where they just keep doing the same set plays every week that they always do and keep not scoring any points. And then, you know, it's sort of this fear of doing anything different to make a mistake. Like you end up completing all your sets, but you don't score any points because you're not trying anything and you're not yeah. doing anything and you're not playing well. When the Cowboys have sort of come here going, well, we've got some guys in our team that can do things that are hard to stop. So let's go out there and see if we can pull them off on the day. And on another day, you might drop a couple of the Bulldogs, get up six or 12 nil, and that's probably all she wrote. I don't think you can get much mm. behind them. But, you know, 
the, it's a good point with the Ty Williams thing because it's it's not only a spread. It's that to go back to what I was saying about his pace, he takes a pretty narrow blind on on El Masri. So yep. they've done this big spread, and then Williams has gone. I'm going to get around you in a situation we probably could have gone out feasibly. Yeah, and everyone um, says you've done. What, what, what are they doing? Yeah, because yeah. the right. commentary, the, you can just say the commentators would. If you did that, the commentators would be saying the Cowboys they've got to settle here. They get yeah. the occasions getting to them. They've got it. They're jumpy. They've got to settle. Um, yeah. The sin bin is an interesting one. It looks a lot like a sin bin that you would see now, where there are a bit more. It doesn't. I. I it doesn't look as much like um, the sin bins from this era. I don't think. Like you, you didn't used to see them that often, um, but they were on a break, and uh, you know the the players held down, and you know they're on the. They've got the roll on. Price is all over him, and Tim Mander mm. pretty quickly just fires him. Just says, "No, no, that's a professional foul. Off you go." Yeah, it's a wonderful sim bidding. You're right. It wasn't happened as much that time, but it's a really good sense. And it's a thing that uh, I don't want to blame the referees of more modern times because I don't think it's their fault. I think it's the way that the refs and the game in general have tried to make a rule book that's very legalized and black and white. Well, yeah. What it is by Mander is a read of the situation. Like what he's had a look is a feel for the game and, you know, not to borrow from Gus's feel from the game stuff, but, but quite genuinely, like there's this big break. And they're on absolute mo. They've, 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 he's beaten three or four people. He's got to the fullback. They're going to get up and play the ball. They're going to zing it across the field. And they're probably going to score. And you read that and you go, well, no, you can't. You've got to get off the field because it's just a yeah. professional foul. And the situations where you could have made a break and held him down and it wouldn't be because for whatever reason, it's just not that momentum isn't as clear or, you know, most of the Canterbury players are on side and the cows haven't chased, like whatever. It, there are situations where you go, oh, come on. Like, I don't know if that's a professional foul. And, and reading the situation is important. And I'm going to give him a wrap. I, I've, yep. I've, I've shit-bagged a lot of referees on this <laughs> thing already. I yeah. thought Mando was really good in this game. It was this way that he, um, he had quite an authoritative way of just pretty quickly going, yeah, I reckon I saw that. I don't like it. That's rubbish penalty or that, you know, it's not, oh, that's, you've done exactly this in this legal way. And this is the way you breach this really just went, no, nah, that's no good penalty. No, you know, that's all right. I'm okay with it. The price and that had come up to him and complain about things. Here you go, mate, that's how I saw it. Yeah. That's how I saw it. He gave a pretty he wasn't short, rude. short shrift, yeah, but he, you know, but not even, yeah. not rudely. Like he just said, that's how I saw it. That was done. I thought he had a good game where mm. he, he stood up to a few things, went, that's rubbish. That was a good sin bin. I reckon he had a really good game. I was impressed. Yeah. Now, um, the, the cows, of course, score from this. Matty Bowen jumps out from dummy half uh, to a raging Luke O'Donnell. This was good to see Luke O'Donnell again uh, with his poker machine yeah. eyes. Goodness gracious. He, you forget how mad he yeah. was. And, and actually, not only how mad he was, how good a footballer he was out on that edge. He, he was terrific. Uh, and he scores a really good try here just at, just going too hard. Hard footballer. Wonderful mm. career. Wonderful player. Uh, important player in that team came out of nowhere at the end of his career to be quite an important cog in the Roosters actually as well yeah. that people forget a bit. Yeah, one played a really, comp, yeah, yeah, played an important role for them in in, in that situation. But he was um, he's a tough, hard player. It's a good try. It's not too much to say about it. It's just good footy. But he um, he was one of my favourite players because he's completely insane. I, I remember him like getting his shirt ripped off in Origin. He's bulging lats coming out of his back trying to head, headbutt <laughs> Dave Taylor and stuff. And Dave Taylor yeah. doesn't want to be within twenty meters of him and nor should you because that's, that's fairly kill people yeah. there are occasionally those real foaming at the mouth types where you see even quite that's it big and tough footballers get into a fight with them and go oh nah i don't reckon yeah i'm getting out no of well i don't reckon i'll tell you yeah. that much no i think that's right there's a moment just after this so so hannah kicks the goal and it's six nil 
And that's, you know, that's odd. That's a surprise, but it's not really a story just yet. Although the men are, you know, having price off the field maybe is. Um, there's a moment just after this, which really could have snuffed out a lot of this momentum. Um, Matt Utai scores over in the corner and it looks for all money like a try. And they go up to the video and he's knocked over the corner post with his boot. Um, and so it could have been 6-4, six, 6-0 six, six when Masri inevitably kicks the goal. And like, it's, it's not the cows jumping out to a lead. But a couple of minutes after this, still with, with uh, the dogs having 12 on the field, uh, <clears throat> there is a wild dummy half break from Aaron Payne. And then two plays later, Fiend bombs it to the corner. And it's the two-on-one. I remember Matt Utai out on the wing up against someone who was not any taller than him, really, uh, Matt Singh, who just soars above, comes down with the ball, lands on the line, 10-0 to the Cowboys, kick to come. There's a bit to unpack there. Now, yes. I'm going to start with the key point of the Utah no try, which is that that was a try now. Um, yes, he corner has, post. He's not out. Yeah, he's got a foot on the corner post, which has been knocked over, or he's knocked over. And it, it's, I think someone's bumped it over, and his foot is on an angled corner post, which is not a problem now. I just like to point that out. Yes. Um, which is the best rule change they've ever made, just it quietly, because you see these wonderful acrobats. But uh, those wonderful acrobats didn't include Matt Utai, and it wouldn't have helped him all that much, because, frankly, that was a really bad blunder. It's mentioned in the commentary a little bit, but he actually runs upright past the try line and tries to put the ball down standing up, keeping in mind in the error that you can't, yeah, you can't touch the corner post. And, and that's why he, up kicking, he ends up kicking, clipping yeah. the corner post with his, with his ankle. That's how yeah. far in advance of, yeah. Yeah, because he's upright crossing the try line. All he had to do was what wingers have done for 100 years in, in both codes of, of football, which is slide. Um, it's really quite odd. I mean, it's great defence because mm. Matt Singh saves a couple because it's Matt Singh during this game. But I just think it's worth noting that that was a try now. And yeah. if that's scored, if Matt Utah slides over, the narrative totally changes because not only is it 6 all because Hasm kicks it, obviously, uh, it's 6 all with a player down. And you go, oh, yeah, they got a try with them off the field. But, you know, now it's 6 all. The, the dogs have scored despite being a man down. Here comes Price. It's a different game. Yeah, of course. And Yeah. The Aaron Payne break is wonderful, just for starters. And I, I was a really a good big player, Aaron, Aaron Payne, Payne fan. Yeah. Oh, I loved Aaron Payne. He's a really, really good player. And um, he's a player that Jonathan Thurston talks very, very heavily about, um, which is, it's a, you know, it's a pretty good rap because he's not a guy that, you know, people outside of diehard North Queensland fans will remember a, a lot of. But he was a really excellent player. And for a guy like Thurston, who's sort of, you know, one of the, one of the greatest players in the history of the game, to talk about how, how much pain helped him and then to sort of talk about they had a few down years between th- there and when they eventually break through and make the finals and make the grand final again. And he really talks about them really needing to replace Payne. They really needed that hooker there. And he sort of, they only came good again when, when Granville came on the scene. So he was a pretty mm. important cog in their team, even once Thurston got there, where Thurston struggled a bit without Payne. And yeah, he was very it's, um, it's just a mark of how good he was. He was a very, mm. very clever. We've talked a bit about this before, about how players like that in between nothing sort of filler types and rep stars have disappeared a bit. But there yeah. used to be this real batch of guys where you went, he's a really good player and he can hurt you. But no, he shouldn't really make New South Wales. Or no, he's not really yeah. a Queensland like the, There was a lot of but depth really good. positions yeah. of guys who were really yeah. clever. And the closest thing... Footballers. Yeah, yeah. Footballers, yeah. Yeah, yeah. the guys who not were athletes, never, yeah. not really in consideration for a rep side. But yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, just natural sort of players. that He could hurt any team he played against. But that doesn't mean he should have been playing in the Australian side because there was other mm. better players. But 
you know, but he had he had a, he wasn't perfect. He had a lot of good bits. Yeah, yeah. The Singh that there are two. There are of course two Matt Singh. Mm. Well, in te- in the course of ten minutes, there are all, there is all this drama down there one side of the field. There are two Matt Singh tries from bombs, and there are two Utai no tries. The first is where he clips the corner post, and the mm. second is he charges like a bull at Matt Singh from ten out. And Matsing with Bowman holds him up and hurls him into touch, which is unbelievable. Um, mm. And then up the other end of the field, there are two bombs to the corner where Singh goes up to score. Some of the, the, the athleticism of those catches, from a guy who's one of the shortest players on the field, apart from the guy who happens to be marking him, is magnificent. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, good player, Matt Utah, by the way. It takes a oh, fair yeah. effort to hold him up because he was, he was, a, he was a bulldozer. He's a good player. It's yeah. a wonderful stop. Um, yeah, exactly right. The, the funny thing is, I'm going to give myself up here for forgetting a bit about the game. Is I remembered what happened in terms of the Cowboys flogging them, but I, I forgot that Matt Singh um, not only scores two, but later scores a third try off a bomb. And when he scores the first try off this bomb, I've gone and written in my notes. I've just gone make a note about Matt Singh. He scored a weird amount of tries off bombs. You should mention <laughs> that on the podcast. By the end of the game, I probably don't need to mention that he scored a hat trick. Yeah, good All from bombs. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's, I probably Good don't knowledge. remember that because of this game. But yeah. um, it, it, it's, I think the one thing, there's not much to say. He was an absolute weapon in the air. He's the best player in the winger in the air we've ever had. He was better than Israel Folau. Yeah, you know, be, 10 years later, he would have got a million-dollar deal to play for um, the Giants in the, in the yes. AFL, Matty Singh, mm-hmm. full Matt forward Singh. or something. In the headgear. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> the Renoff headgear yeah. playing full forward. That's a sign. But you do it, see it every was, now and again. the best in the air yeah. there was. Best in the air there ever was. Forget Folau, forget that. This guy was a freak. Oh, those um, catches are unbelievable. The last one's the best one, but they're all unbelievable. You yeah. Know, just... It, it, he's just a, it's a mix of the, the athleticism is one thing, but it, the skill in, in it too, you know, you've got to have the jump and all that, but he twists and turns and you've got to, you've got to catch him. Like, you know, there's a lot of tall guys that catch some, drop some. They always get up the top, but they don't always catch him. He gets up, he twists. When he, he doesn't lands, make the jump right. Yeah. He, he lands, lands right. flat on the ground with the ball. He lands on the ball. Yeah. Yeah, it's brilliant. He twists himself midair sometimes when he gets the jump wrong or they bump him. Like they bump him. And instead of just missing it, he somehow contorts himself to still, like a good slips catcher. You, get, you know, you're off balance, but he somehow gets his hand out in the yeah. right spot. And look, I think the only other thing to mention about those tries is it goes to your narrative of them chanting their hand and trying stuff. So we've talked about Payne making the line break for the first one. What I think we need to mention about the second one. Yes. So Singh scores a bomb off, yes, a, a Payne line break and he scores the next play or in that set. Is that in the set that Singh scores this try, Matt Bowen chip kicks for himself in the middle of the count. <laughs> like, does. On halfway. Or, yeah. Or about halfway, yeah. It wasn't midfield. So he's chip kicked on play three or four, maybe play four for himself, regathered the ball, run through, and then they. So I don't want people getting the idea that this was his boring five tackles chip to Matt Singh. No. It's like 40 meter line break chip to Matt Singh, and Matt Bowen, like midfield chip kicking to yourself in the first. In the half middle of the, of the tackle game. count for no reason. Yeah. At, yeah. at what, 6 0? He was very good at that. <laughs> yeah, at 10 0. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 10 0, was... sorry. Yeah, it's 10 0. Yeah. Unbelievable. No, it's wild, and there's no, there's absolutely no sense that. Um, God, he's no sense it. of. Oh yeah, he was so good at that. Yeah. Bowen. he used to do it all the time. Yeah, he did. It, remember, he did it to the Knights that day, two thousand and six, to win a game in the last 10, 20 minutes, or the last two yeah, minutes. Unfortunately, or yeah, 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 yeah. He was a freak at it. Yeah. Um, a wonderful player. Wonderful yeah, player. he was wonderful. We'll get, we'll get more onto him in the second half. But yeah, you're right. Yeah. Um, there had also been. A, this is 
this is the 10 minute patch of the game i think which everybody remembers the best where they just keep breaking them open there's the pain break mm. nathan fiend makes a wonderful line break a few minutes after this between the two tries uh, which mm. by the way just it does lead to glenn morrison grubbering dead which i was very keen on <laughs> um yeah it also leads to Rabs tossing out that Nathan Fiend is like electric lightning, which I just think yeah, wants mentioning. <laughs> did say that. <laughs> yeah, it's good that. Um, yeah. And then it's, you know, all of a sudden, they go up again, and they, um, they bomb it again, and Singh scores, and it's 16-0. Um, mm. And keep in mind, like, yeah, there, there's a couple of things here. Just before this try, uh, Canterbury t- bring on Roy Azatazi and Sonny Bill Williams. Mm. <laughs> and about the same time, yeah. the Cows have brought on Lee McWilliams and Mitchell Sargent. Mm. Like <clears> for <throat> like, I think. Yeah, like I just think it bears mentioning all of these sides and the depth. Like, the well, you could Canterbury, make an argument yeah. that Roy Azatazi is the best front rower of that era of the ten years that he played. Like, I'm not saying you can argue that he wasn't, but you could argue that he was and not be an idiot. That he was the best front rower of the ten year period he played. Yeah, and you could make a fairly good argument again, not guaranteed, that Sonny Bill Williams was the best back rower of of, <laughs> of his yeah. period in the game. So they've both just come off the interchange, Ben. Yeah, that's because, right. You know, like it's it's. Astatasi with cornrows. I forgot he had those, by the yeah, way. So they bloody I. well suit him. He looks fantastic. Doesn't he look well? Yeah. I've he was a good player, wasn't he? It oh, made me want to get that. Yeah, he was good. Um, yeah, yeah, they look a bit better than on Roy than you. I've, I've I got think to that's, say. I'd I like think to that's probably right. Good. Just speaking yeah. of uh, players' appearances, can I just toss something out to you? Mm. Uh, you know I love a lookalike. Yeah. Can I offer you one? Yeah, you sure can. Josh Hannay and Simon Cadditch. <laughs> You've said it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. actually good. Yeah. Not, yeah. I was you looking to see the, the cat yeah. do a job as a stodgy defensive centre with a goal I, kick, wouldn't you? Can I suggest ball in hand, you wouldn't lose much going to the cat? I don't, I don't know what the cat's goal kicking oh, was like, but he would have worked at it. I mean, he would have. I you think know. the cat the cat would have been more of an Alan Tung type or like, yeah. or Paul Carter, like really mad and aggro little yeah. man in the middle. <laughs> she getting in fights yeah. and stuff. That's true. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't think he played in the centre as much. No, but then on the other hand, yeah. Josh Hanno never strangled Michael Clark, so I think that you know yeah. that bears to his detriment. Well, yeah, to his de- that's right. Yeah, um, yeah. I just thought I would offer that to you. People at home will have a view on it's this. Very good. I'll be putting yeah. it up through the week. I've, I've been looking at this this afternoon. I'm going to put this up on uh, on Facebook through the week. Get people's views uh, on the mm. on the lookalike because the more I look at some of the photos, it, it's really speaking to me. Um, while you're on that, uh, during the week, sorry to really branch out, but while we're on Cow Centres, can we put up that sign I found ages ago of that family that puts yes. the Paul Bowman's dad as our son's vet or whatever it was? Paul Bowman's dad is our dog's vet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Can we put that up? That Absolutely. Sign? It's one of the best signs in the history of the sport. Why? Just why? <laughs> why? Wrong question. I know it is a bit. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Let's put that up. Yeah, I think that's probably right. The... <laughs> <laughs> I just there's something I have to mention between the two tries, and I know you're going to want yeah. to mention it as well. There are only two Hit players. Me. There are only two players in the mm. history of rugby league who did this. I know. There, there's yeah. only two of them, and one of them is an mm. immortal, and the other one should be. Now, Brent Sherwin <laughs> Brent has a terrible game for almost all of this mm. game. He's appalling. He ends up getting hooked. He kicks mm. dead. He bombs dead on the full at one point. He's shanking kicks everywhere. Like it's just a putrid game. Um, I should I should mention it just in passing, by the way, Anasta did go off uh, after about 20 minutes mm. of this game and it seems to affect them quite badly. And he's sort of on the mm. sideline looking quite maudlin as all those tries are running. But 
After 25 minutes, Brent Sherwin does the 20 tap kick into touch. Yeah. The greatest play in the game. The only the other person who's ever done that regularly is Andrew Johns. And it yeah. was one of the reasons I love Brent Sherwin. And watching this game back, mm. I kind of the first 25 minutes, he stinks. and Because he, mm. he's come back off an injury and all of this. And I kept thinking to myself, why did I think Brent Sherwin was such a good player? And then I remembered. Then boom. Boom. Yeah. For no reason. At, 10 yeah. nil, at 6 nil down or 10 nil down, 20 tap off the Glenn Morrison grubber, which is quite a little sequence. Um, (laughs) boom kick in the touch scrum on the floor he was the king oh yeah it was wonderful football my favourite one ever was Joey did it in the State of Origin game yeah (laughs) yeah it did I don't think anyone knew the rule anymore at this point except possibly you and I age 10 but like like, nobody did it and Joey just hammered it in the Origin game but Sherwin was Sherwin was a specky for it because not only does he pull it off here he dummies it in the second half he does dummy he goes to dummy it and then balks out and takes the tap they start running back like he's going to kick and then he's Why don't people do that? The I don't know. Has no, it hasn't. But you know the thing. How do you miss touch? Because they're all up on the 20 metre line. Always. Always. Like they're on the 30 setting a set defence. Bang it before the fullback goes back. You know the great thing? That I, I, my theory is that it is only because of Andrew Johns and Brent Sherwin that Rabs continues to say, they'll come out to the 20 for the optional restart. I love the option. Yeah. So do I. Because um, they still call it the optional restart every now and again. It really speaks to me. Because the, the only two players who ever took that option have been retired for 10, 15 years. Yeah. Do you reckon the, the, um, the seven tackle sets killed the option of it coming back? Possibly, like, actually. Yeah, you you're going to kick it out. And, you know, I, I would, to, to advance the game and to bring people back, I would allow you to keep the seven tackle set if you kick it out. <laughs> because, like, you're risking losing a tackle all of a sudden. Instead of getting, yeah. Yeah, but I think to and encourage thing, more Brett Sherwins in the game, because the, the more Brett Sherwins, the better as far absolutely. as I'm concerned. God, he's very- um, this game. Well, by, by the way, I, yeah. I was going to say that I was in a bit of a mood when I watched this game. I got out of the wrong side of bed, and when I was watching the start, because you're a really, as you've said, you're really unabashed admirer and constantly telling me he's underrated. And yes. I wasn't in the best mood, so I was just sitting there making these constant notes, going, "He's got no idea what he's talking about." Yeah, Sherwin's yeah. going well for you, Campbell, and all this yeah, sort of yeah. stuff. Real you know what's very funny about this, despite thinking he's very good myself. <laughs> well, what's very funny about this is that he stinks in this game and ends up getting hooked mm. with about five minutes to go or ten minutes to go, which mm. is quite good, given that a Nasta is also off. They end up with they end up with Corey Hughes as their sole playmaker. They also aren't far behind. No, they they're ten behind chasing the game. That. Yep, yeah. and then they score, and with him off the field, and you're going, that looks like a bit of a blunder. Yeah, it's like they gave the game up because they can't get knocked out. It really felt it's, like that. Yeah. A bit. yeah, and but what's very funny about this is that if you watch the week after, he absolutely carves them up. Uh, he carves mm. up Melbourne in the next round. <laughs> I've watched the highlights. It made me feel much better about myself because he has an absolute blinder, like flick passes and round the corner mm. balls and all that kind of stuff. Um, he's I a said, wonderful player, Brent Sherwin. He's a player, wasn't he? But oh, know, well, I, I picked on him because you like him, but he was a really good player. I loved him, yeah. Can I just, just while we've got you, the, on the subject of Brent Sherwin, the other good thing about that is when they play Melbourne the following week, keep in mind they've got Jonathan Thurston in reserve. Mm. They start Rennie Matur at 5'8 to replace a Nasta. Yeah, they do that that whole series with Thurston yeah. on the bench, and then rolling Thurston on. on the bench. Yeah, yeah quite good. Rolling on for Rennie. It's yeah. um, yeah. Well, you know, you, you sort of got Thurston as your third string, keeping in mind he's twelve Thurston. months away from winning, winning the best player in the competition. Yeah, he like, also scores a double in that game against Melbourne off the bench. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Anyway, the 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 dogs score just after this uh, a lovely offload from from one of the forgotten men of rugby league, Ben Harris. Um, 
infielder has him, has him holds it up, hits, hits Sonny Bill, inevitably kicks the goal. Um, it's a great little uh, a great run. Move. Oh, yeah, he's, he's, he's a weapon. Um, oh, yeah. Have you ever in seen in a way sort of yeah, thing? Yeah. Wonderful shape. He throws some wild offloads in this game as well. Here's a call mm. from Joey, which aged very well. I'm excited. Yeah, yeah. I'm excited because his next year's next ten years of rugby league are going to be unbelievable. I'm excited to watch him for ten years. Yeah, yeah, that that worked well. As did his next part when he guranteed that he'd run over him, keeping in mind he breaks his jaw and he about did. Two... <laughs> <laughs> he knocked him out cold with a swinging arm yeah, two years out later. Cold very soon after this. Yeah, yeah. The um, yeah, it did age well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He is a, he, he, I do lament that because you know because of the age I was at the time, I fell into that real pattern of going ah sunny bill you know what i mean like when he left mm. for rugby there's a there's a you're at the age where you can get a bit influenced by the media i was a teenager where you, i did that as well it's like the mundane thing everyone's like ah bloody mundane it's sort of a default mode yeah. i sort of fell into that a bit but when you're old enough to look back on it because i mean he's never done anything to a, anyone like you, if you're a bulldogs fan you're entitled to be disappointed with why he left but as a person he's you know he hasn't hurt anyone or committed the crime and when you look back at what a wonderful player he was I do I just really lament we didn't get to see more of him because he, he oh, came yeah. back at the Roosters and he was clever and really professional and really good but yeah. not like this like by that point he was a clever good professional high level player yeah, but at he this was point a he's a wild this, mover yeah. this terrible he bangs yeah. a couple of shoulder charges in this game on big guys and yeah he's um he's a weapon um yeah, the footwork of, a, of an elite centre with the power of a of a, any forward in the game and the offload yeah. and the build. Oh, wow. Oh, it's yeah. beautiful. Yeah, he's very good to watch. Um, the cow, the, it, it feels at that point, 16-6, you think with all the resources that the, the Bulldogs have got, even though the, cow, the cows have started very brightly, you think, oh, well, I mean, they should come back from here. You sort of want to be on Canterbury with 10 head start with 50 minutes to go. Um you know, uh, 10 before half time. Uh, then the cows get a penalty just in uh, in front of the posts with, uh, I think, till half time. Uh, Nathan Fiend makes a break from halfway, another break from halfway, and is dragged down a yard out. And you go into half time thinking, oh, they probably needed to score that because once the dogs get a talking to at the break, you'd think they'll come out and, and get themselves back into the game. Yeah, well, that's that, that goes again to the con- bit of the. You're right, but it's that condescension that we're now giving them that we yeah, yeah. also the commentators are giving them. Like you're right, that's what you do think, but it's part of that condescension, isn't it? It's that thought that like like a team is winning, totally dominated the game, and we're like, oh, they needed to do a bit more than that because they're going to yeah, get yeah, yeah. in the second. It's like this is it. This isn't real, and it won't happen. Like what you should like realistically, if you showed this to a game to someone just watching the sport for the first time, they're like. What are you talking about? That team's heaps better than that team. Yeah. Rolling them. Why is it going to turn around the second half? But yeah. you do, don't you? It's a, you don't really believe what you're seeing. And we see that all, all the time. You watch games, you know, we've supported a, you know, a bad club for quite a while now. And when they have a bright half, you sort of default to, geez, they need to make a bit more because they're going to get, it won't hold up. It's, it's never the right amount. Yeah. The lead's never big enough. For 10 is no, no, no. And it, it should have been 16. They needed to make it 22. You know, yeah. yeah. Um, but there was nothing in the game to think that. If you just watch the no. game itself, there's no reason to think they were going to come back. No, they're killing them. They just kill them. Um, mm. And, you know, the, the, the dogs do look good with the ball, but um, <clears throat> the Cowboys are getting there. They're rescuing things. The dogs have also got one of their halves off, and their other half is looks a bit like is, is back from injury and not playing particularly well. Um, 
Yeah. Well, it was also an era. It was an era where they played. It's coming back a little bit into the game, but it was an era where you played very much with a tight halfback and a second receiving five eight, like a yeah. five eight. Not one aside, not one doing everything, but one sort of scheming in tight and one two passes wide that ran the back line. And, and Anasta was that player. And there's no denying that they were, when they're setting a platform like Willie and, and Asatasi and, and O'Mealy did still provide when they had the ball, that it, it hurts a fair bit that when they zing it too wide, there's just not big Braith standing there to direct things. Because he's one of those guys that... um. History, again, he, he had so many years at the end that weren't so good. People probably forget a little bit that he was a really good player. Um, yeah, he was. At the Bulldogs. He, he, he sort of faded to the point where it became, ah, oh, bloody Anastas overrated or he's not that good. Yeah, no, he was. He was a very, very good player when he came through. And yes, he faded and, and he wasn't quite there later and he didn't, you know, have... Cameron Smith or Billy Slater career where you're that good the whole way, but he was a really, you know, he was a, he was a, a rep level player at this time. Yeah. In the game. And if you watch highlights of that, of, of that dog side in that era, you, you do have to remember that a little bit that he, you know, he does a lot of very good things. And again, yeah. it's like Trent Barrett in that, you know, they, if you were building a five eighth in that era with a clever passing, kicking halfback, he was the, he was the build. He was the right shape. Mm. Uh, yeah. He yeah. Was, yeah. He was a big loss for them in this game. Um, yeah. yeah, that's right. Having him off the field just takes away your ability to take advantage of um, what your forward pack was still building. And it's an era where they don't, the fullbacks don't do what they do today. You can't just lose a half and your fullbacks got all these passing. Luke Patton and those sorts of players were different style of fullbacks. They were runners of the ball. They ran wide. They trailed the forwards. They weren't guys who linked in and did the half stuff like they do now. You know, you can't just say well, Pierce has gone down, Pong is going to have to set up more tries or Tedesco is going to have to pass for tries and this stuff. They didn't really do that then. So it does hurt quite a lot to have a playmaker off the field then, probably even more than it does now in a way. A couple of things from halftime. Uh, I, I I, just to repeat again, my vendetta against the halftime, what did the coaches mm. say report? Uh, I think this is one of the most egregious examples from Matthew Johns. Steve Folks says the Bulldogs need to improve in all areas. <laughs> he's not wrong I mean no of course he's not wrong But I just don't think it helps anyone watching the game You know like I Do you just think it helps the Bulldogs? Like, no, do you think if Steve Folks went in there and said you really got to improve in all areas You've got to be better at work. catching, running, kicking, tackling yeah. and, and, and scoring Pakistan um, have got to learn how to bat, bowl, ball and field Bill, it's a simple game That sort of chat yeah. That's it Yeah <laughs> That's it um, I don't, Yeah The other thing Paul Harrigan um, speculating about what the message might have been at halftime, says they've been out enthused, they won't be happy about that. Um, which is just so, there's just kind of wise counsel, I think you'd have to say. Yeah, he, um, he, he's off message the chief. Uh, as a <laughs> he's a bit, he never I'm used not, to do it, right? Like he was very rarely. No. Yeah. And I'm not even bagging him because a lot of them follow a script and the script's crap too, you know what I mean? Like the, yeah. the Matt John stuff is the script, it's not any better. Like it's um, but a lot of them follow this sort of media trained script, and the chief is just sort of tossing out really odd thought bubbles during games, like about honest defence and speculating about yeah. enthusiasm, and like it's it's not any worse than the other stuff, but it's just really off the script, isn't it? Like, it is a little bit, yeah. Um, wasn't wasn't it good to see the big ha- the big cowboy hats in the crowd? It was a real feature yeah. of this run of this season, yeah. 
Yeah, it is good. It's one of the better things about when they're playing well, actually. It's like dickhead cowboy hats. Idiots with really big, stupid, foam cowboy hats. Yeah, there's not enough of it. Um, That or proper Bob Catter hats as well. I like both. Like (laughs) big foam hats or Bob Catter hats. Or just Bob Catter speaking up about the cowboys. Also good. (laughs) Another good feature of when they're doing well. Um, (laughs) The the second half is, is funny because exactly what we said you would expect to happen doesn't happen. Um, no, they get a penalty to go to 20 to six. Um, and then nothing happens for a bit apart from, we should mention to be remiss not to, um, of stink, um, involving Glenn Morrison and Steve Price and Steve Price is actually quite lucky to stay on the field. I thought, because he throws a forearm straight into his face. Um, it's kind of getting it, but it's a real sign that the, the dogs, it's not like, it's not going their way. They're starting to get a bit, get a bit ragged out there when Steve Price is throwing punches. Like it's not, a, he's not with the ball with yeah, the ball. That's got right. the ball. They're yeah. in possession penalty to the Cowboys. Uh, and shortly after that, uh, Lee McWilliams uh, makes a break from about 35 out from his own line slices straight through. Uh, as he does. As you, well, I don't remember Lee McWilliams ever doing this <laughs> and then completely <laughs> botches. I completely botches the draw and pass on the fullback, but Matt Bowen's mm. so quick that he goes around Luke Patton anyway and scores behind the posts. Uh, Simon Kadic adds the extras and it's 26-6. <laughs> yeah. There's not much to say about that, is there? It's, um, yes. I'll backtrack on you and, and go to the fight and comment on that firstly. Is um, That's your stereotypical situation that you see all the time when a really good team is getting beat and they yep. just there's this weird dynamic that he wouldn't have done that if they were even getting beat like that by the roosters or something there's this no. dynamic about when a favorite gets really unexpectedly done like that they start to get shitty and nasty and petty yep. and that's what he's done is he's just he's close it's a sign of the times uh it gets morrison pretty flush I'd uh, be remiss of us to mention Morrison and not talk about the 10 years of speculation that he'd be the first signing for the Central Coast Championship <laughs> team. I just well, wanted to get that out there. Glenn Morrison was one of those, was one yeah. of those guys who was a walk-up start in the city country. And there was always yeah. talk that this would be his year. He should be should constantly be conversation yeah, for, yeah. for origin. Should be in the conversation, mm. yeah. Um, yeah, he, those real, that real Jared Croker sort of position of constantly should be getting a run and doesn't sort of. Yeah, like, exactly. Like every year the fans are really moaning that he's out of Sean, sight, out of mind. Up Sean Fenson was yeah. another one of them. Is yeah, that kind yeah. of level? Yeah. They, it's, it's always great. out of Sydney clubs. It's always someone from not in Sydney yeah. making really moan about not being seen. As if There's people a, don't watch the games when they're out of state. I'll tell you what's good as well. Um, Glenn Morrison goes to Parramatta the year after this. And there's a great mm. photo. There's a photo of Glenn Morrison celebrating with Matt Singh at the end of this game in the in goal at Homebush. Mm. And then there's another photo from about a year and two weeks later of the Cowboys celebrating in the in goal and Glenn Morrison looking really forlorn at them <laughs> because it's <laughs> the year later they've knocked the Cowboys knocked Parramatta out. Yeah. And we'll put that up through the yeah. week. It's quite a good, uh, it's quite a good side by side. Um, yeah. The wrong time to get off the cows, Glenn. Yeah. But, just um, a little bit. Th- the, the try, yeah, look, not much to say other than you're exactly right. I was being a bit facetious. Lee McWilliams didn't make a habit of doing that. Uh, it's a lovely piece of football. Every mm. bit as good as, you know, you go on the highlight reels of Danny Baderas, Robbie Farrow, whoever you like, and that's what one of their best plays ever looked like. You know what I mean? Like, it's a wonderful piece of football. Like, yep. the skiving run through, the showing the ball, cutting through. Yep. Yeah, he doesn't do a great job of drawing, but it's wonderful. But Matt Bowen, wow. Like, it's just another moment. Like, he is one of the most enjoyable players to watch 
yeah. ever, ever had the pleasure of watching. He played the game the right way. Look, I, I don't want to sell him short either because he was elite. Like, obviously, you know, best fullback of all time, no. But it's not like, oh, yeah, he was enjoyably okay. He was phenomenal. He was just such a damn good player. And that enjoyable at the same time. Yeah, he was terribly oh, exciting. There's a couple him. of runs yeah. he makes in the second half uh, towards the end, which we'll, we'll get to because of the point of the game that they're in most of most of all. But um, yeah, he was magnificent, and this was his. Yeah, he was. This was his yeah. year, right? Like I, yeah, I remember I went to the preliminary final this this season when they played mm. the Roosters, and the whole ground every time he got the ball, he was getting it in the corner right on his own line and all that. The whole ground was one of those. It was like the Hain year where it was like every time he was yeah. in the ball, it was like, oh, we're on here. Something's going to happen. You know, yeah, that's right. He was very ahead of his time in a lot of ways, you know, because we just spoke about how Luke Patton type fullbacks. But if you go through the other good fullbacks at that time, like Minicello and stuff, Bowen was one of the first ones to do all of it. Like he yeah. kicks, he long field kicks. He's he a beautiful kicker kicking. of the ball. He used to kick really yeah, he nice. Was. He did. He passes for tries. He passes for the first try. He passes a lot. Like, he had a really nice long passing game, a nice short passing game. And he backed up the fullbacks and did all... Like, he scores this try. That's a fullbacks try. Like, the backing yeah. up the break and doing that. But he kicks long. He kicks short. He passes. Probably a product of their halves at the time, too, I might Sets add. up but a try from that, dummy half. And he bombs yep. to the corner for the last one. Yeah. Those weren't things that fullbacks did then. It no. really wasn't. It's common now. Every fullback has to do that. You have to pass. You have to have a... You know, maybe not a kick. But you've you got to have all these skills to bring as a playmaker. That wasn't common. It really wasn't. No. He was and you're really right. one of the first people to do that. If you look at the elite fullbacks of that time, uh, you know guys like Luke Patton were considered some of the best fullbacks in the game. Minicello is another one. They didn't they didn't have that in their game. That wasn't. We go just before best. that. Mullins was just before that. Yeah. Tim Brasher was before that. Gary Jack Belcher. None of these guys. It wasn't their business. It wasn't their. Nope. It wasn't their game. Nope. Yeah. Nope. Um, Rocky obviously had come through. He was doing it, but that's about him and Bowen were amongst the first. Yeah. yeah. Um, a, a couple of a couple of points from just after this. Um, wasn't it good to see the Bundy Rum Telestrator in action, which is literally the same thing that they've had for years either side mm. of it, where you freeze it there and draw things on the screen, but sponsored by Bundy Rums, they had to call it the Telestrator. Um, but it was very odd to see Gus using it. I didn't like his style at all. It's, it's not the same when it's not Sterlow. When he said, I've, when, if you freeze it there, I just, I just didn't believe that he was saying it for the first time. You know, whenever, no. Stur- whenever Sturlow says, now as we freeze it there and as play continues, it feels, he, it feels like he's saying it for the first time. It's the first time anyone has ever frozen and broken down a try. I didn't get that mm. from Gus. It, was, he, he, I, it felt like he was... Yeah, it, it felt forced. It did yeah. feel forced. Gus was like, really anti the Telestrator. Like, I remember at the time thinking it was just commercial rubbish because I yeah. just, like, I just, I just bought, like, there wasn't as much of that in the game then. I was like, why are they naming this stupid thing they do after <laughs> Thunderbird Rum? Like, out of nowhere, like, nothing's changed. And they just keep saying Telestrator and stuff. Yeah. It's just stupid. But you're That's right, it did feel there forced. There on the Rum Telestrator, yeah. Yeah, and it would, it would come out of nowhere and then no one mentioned it. It's just like they started saying it and you expected to just go with it like it had always been there. That thumbs down from me for that. Thumbs down for Gus for doing circles. He didn't do enough scribbling in the space. You've got to show no. there's all this space over here and I've just drawn all over. How are you going like, to see space Ran through there. if you don't draw all over the space? Exactly. You draw over go, there's no one standing there. Draw all over it and say, look, he's going to run through that as play continues. Exactly. Now, yeah. I'll tell you who wasn't phoning it in. Ray Rabbits Warren, 26-6 is the score with uh, 20 minutes to go. Canterbury, 
I think it's fair to say can't afford not to team to score. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. It's that's one is. of the better it's... ones. We've watched 11, 11 historical games of rugby league now, and that, that's about as good as it gets for me to be next to score, I think. 20 down with 20 to go. Yep. Yeah. I reckon I reckon we could find better ones. It's just that when you watch classic games, you won't find too many where the, <laughs> one of the teams gets <laughs> down by 20 points. By 20. But you're right. But it is. It's exactly right. It is one of the great... It's what I was talking about with the Chief, where I said he was off message. Like, this is on message. Like, yeah, constantly tossing junk. up that someone not winning the game needs to be next to score is the most on message comment you can possibly make as a paid expert. Yeah. Um, the, the dogs start to mount a bit of a recovery uh, around the 60-minute mark, but not before... David Miles is knocked out by Luke O'Donnell's forearm uh, and not before Bluey Southern makes a line break. And I've got to tell you, um, mm. 16 years later, that didn't fail to have an impact on me. Uh, I, I, I'm not ashamed to say that I got out of my seat when I saw Bluey Southern <laughs> clear. Um, he is one of my favourite uh, honest battler footballers. Um, mm. there's, some, there's a great uh, close-up of his head late in the game. When he's sitting on the bench, just uh, you know, kind of staring into space, uh, presumably riddled with CTE. But uh, he he was a wonderful footballer and a very and this was kind of this was the, they had a few players like this, the cows, and this was their time. Shane Tronk was another one like that. They're really honest, kind of bash, bash, bash. Never give anything, never give anything away. Uh, but yeah, seeing him into the seeing him in the clear was a sight for sore eyes. He didn't get very far, but uh, God, it was good to watch. Yep, certainly was. Uh, you wanted to talk about saying Lee McWilliams didn't do that often. Yeah. Uh, Steve Southern, <laughs> not, a, know, not a lot. Not you a know lot. what else is good about this part of the game? So 20 to go, 20 in front against the mm. like equal minor premiers. And Matty Bowen throws an offload around the corner with about six people on him to no one. Masri. And Gus tosses out, this is good football. This is what they need to be doing. <laughs> I can't put the queue in. I can't, you know, Gus is a real thing. And he still does. About teams not putting the queue in the rack. Yeah. He's very anti any that. suggestion of a side playing for full time. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. He wasn't a game manager, Gus. No boot in no. his touch. No. It's a bad sign. Uh, no, it, it was good. It, it's, um, you know, as an aside about Steve Southern, I just want to talk about an injustice I've spoken to you about before. Yes. So Steve Southern, right, played a hundred and... 24 games for the Cowboys, right? Yeah. And he played seven games for the Knights after this. In the good mm-hmm. era, we signed Mitchell Sargent, then Steve Southern. <laughs> we also signed Antonio Cafusi. Made right. a lot of signings from the Cowboys it's forward right, pack yeah. um, at the right times of their career. But yeah. um, Bluey Southern, right, on his Wikipedia, and if anyone can get out there can get this change, please change it. 124 games for the Cows, seven for the Knights. They've got a picture of him on his page playing for the Central Coast Centurions. Oh, it's totally unfair. Reserve grade. You can't put a picture of him playing reserve grade. Now, all respect to all the Centurions out there. Yeah. But if you've played 124 games for the Cows, you've played in the grand final, you've played in the, this final series at this time, you're well remembered. Now, people in North Queensland, real fans up there, would fondly remember Bluey Southern. How yeah. get his picture up of him playing first grade? There's 130 yeah. something didn't games he, to pick from. Didn't he play City Country? No, I checked. I thought I, I <laughs> hoped he did. I think you and I just hope he did. Yeah. But at least put one up. He played for Wakefield Trinity after this. Put one of them yeah. up. Like, why yeah. put his reserve grade photo up? You don't that's see Andrew unfair. Johns You're right. playing. He played. Joey played reserve grade. There's no photo of him doing that. And no, that's Wikipedia. right. That's absolutely right. You wouldn't see it's a photo rubbish. of Morrison playing reserve grade. No, absolutely. No, for the Central um, Coast. No, well, exactly. That could have been. They could have signed together. It could have been a reunion for the Central yeah. Coast Bears. Thanks very much, yeah. Greg Florimo. Um, 
the, the dog centurion's jersey <laughs> if we can get one put one up on the page absolutely um <laughs> the dogs uh the dogs start to mount their recovery uh 60 seconds little short short side move um Andrew Ryan gets an offload to Utah, who just flies down the wing. It's a little bit unfair, isn't it? Utah on Bowen, one on one with Utah, thirty meters to get ahead of steam up. Almazri puts the kick over, twenty six twelve. I think uh, Bowen can be thankful that he decided to step him. Yes, because I don't necessarily. He steps back inside him beautifully, and I'm not sure he needs to. I think he probably got yeah. to run over him from there. <laughs> there straight he line. Was flying. He's one of the people I'd least like to tackle because yeah, oh yeah, he, like Muscle Jason Tamalolo or someone. Everyone will sort of forgive you. But this bloke's like, you possibly, I'm possibly even taller than him. But like, how would you take, like, he'd just steamroll you, wouldn't he? Oh, like, yeah. that, where do you grab? Where do you go? Like, he, he just, there's something about it, isn't there? Like, he just looks yeah. horribly unpleasant to try and stop at pace. Yeah, there's a couple of times he gets, yeah. a, that's why that Matt Singh tackle in the first half is so mm. good, I think. Um, yeah. yeah he, he, he is, and it is a little bit unfair. There's a couple of moments where Willie Mason, there's one in particular where Willie Mason runs at Ty Williams. And again, I just think, you know, <laughs> Mm. Like I think you know, this is yeah. where you need modified rules. Um, yeah, and then there is a Ben Harris try, um, which is nice. I love Ben Harris, by the way. Yeah, well, he was. He was I forgot good. about him a little bit, mm. and as soon as I saw it, I reminded myself there was an error. I was very fond of him, um, Jamal Lalesi. I had this weird <laughs> centre phase. Paul Fadawira. I had this real yeah. good job, and then Ben Smith at the oh, Parramatta. Gosh. I became There's fond one. of. I get this real fond error of like doing a job centres. Um, yeah, one of them. That's one of them. Well, what about Ben Pomeroy? Were you a Ben Pomeroy fan? No, I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> really was. He was in the Luke Cavell. He was kind of like, that's very plotting. odd and funny that you were going to say that I was about to say he was yeah. Luke Cavell without the goal kicking. Um, <laughs> which doesn't leave much. Leave What's one minus one? <laughs> yeah, I think that's about right. But the point is that the Ben Harris try, which is very nice, uh, Rabs describes it as a try that came from stupidity. <laughs> I know. And the stupidity... Is from David Miles. Yeah. And if ever there was an example of stupidity, not because of the context of the game or anything else, but just out of pure self-protection and self-preservation, it is this. Because David Miles, there is a tackle. Um, and I believe it's it, the Cowboys have the ball at this point. They're coming off their own line. They're in front by 14 points with 15 minutes to go. And there's three in the tackle. And David Miles, for reasons which I don't think he probably understands, comes flying in and just pushes Willie Mason off the tackle. Now we've talked about how big Willie Mason is and the fact that he was at his most rampaging and terrifying at this point in his career. Why David Miles, who was not a big man, we're playing five eighths for the Cowboys, decided to take it upon himself to pick him in the middle of a game <laughs> in front of his own posts with 15 to go. Um, I, I can't explain it in possession why he did yeah. that, I can't explain it. And Willie throws one, jobs him, uh, and then ends up fighting someone else. Uh, punches two separate Canterbury players and gets the penalty. Uh, I love that. That's isn't that an error in the game? He's yeah. like you can't punch people repeatedly and get the penalty anymore. No. Uh, to the detriment of the game, where they, where Manda's just like, well, you know, you started it. Yeah. For him. <laughs> you, you pushed him. He clobbered you in the jaw. So, like, maybe get over yourself and don't push it. Like, they weren't better time. You saw less of this because of that, though. Like, it's the, the right fact decision. that you shove I someone and they job you and you get the penalty against you stops all the nonsense you see now, all the handbagging. Yeah. But um, it's, I think you, you're dead right. I don't understand why he did it. 
I don't understand in the context of the game that it was a good idea either. And all I can say is, Willie Mason at that time with that size and power, there's only one person I'd least like to fight, and that would be Les Mason. I think <laughs> brother, it's the only it's person who's eminently madder. I was horrifying. Um, he, he, yeah, Willie, it's, it's the yeah. only person I'd least like to fight than Willie at that point. What are you doing? Like I just, yeah, mm. I don't, I don't care about the game. I just think no, just, just, just like the context of your body compared to his is enough for me. Mm. He doesn't even yeah. throw one by the end. Willie did like he he realizes I think what he's done because oh hang on, <laughs> he doesn't mm, even yeah. think to throw one. He puts his hands in the air. Yeah. I think that's probably better. Surrender is sort of the, yeah. uh, the best option at that point. So so Ben Harris scores and it's twenty six eighteen. Hasm of course kicks the goal, uh, and he and the talk at the ground or talk from the commentators is uh, here they come, sixty seventh mm. minute and only eight behind. Very rare thing by the way on the Telestrator. Uh, Gus does two freezes for this try. He freezes it. Did I miss that? Yeah, he mm. freezes it and his play continues. And then as we freeze it there and his play continues. I've never seen that before. Yeah. I don't I like think it. that it went... No. When they did the review, I think still I would have brought that up. Like on Monday in the video review. <laughs> the video going, session. Gus, Gus, you Gus mate. <laughs> you're doing there. Yeah, there'd be a bit of chat in there, I think, in front yeah. of the group. Honesty <laughs> yeah. session. Yeah, I think that's yeah, fine. Yeah, I never no, saw no, I never saw Sterlow do it. It's just going to bewilder people. It's hard enough to explain how... A, per, a footballer mm. running at full pace goes through one yawning yawning gap. How yeah. are they going to understand mm. how they go through two? Yeah. I'm still trying to comprehend where the space was. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Give people a yeah. fighting chance. It's good move. Yeah, by, yeah. Uh, good bit of move by uh, Ben Harris, by the way. It was a really nice footwork yeah, to nice. get because he comes nice. inside and then has to get past mm. a couple more. It was, it was very nice. You know, um, the, the only, uh, while we're talking about freezing it there, the, the cricket equivalent that I always really enjoyed was like stupid Tony Gregg circling where the slips have moved from and stuff. Like the slip was here and he'd, draw, he'd, yeah, yeah. he'd scribble and go, oh, oh, we, oh, gee, sorry. Like you have it in the wrong spot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Draw and try to scribble it out. Like, and all to try and show that the slip had moved from here to about two steps back or something. Like that was, I the thought. Cr- um, cricket. The one thing for Sterlow, he didn't blunder it that much. Like Tony Gregg used to draw the squiggles on the wrong parts the screen and be unable to delete them and all this stuff like Sterlow at least you know as moronic as the whole concept of circling players and showing what holes yeah. they went through was he didn't fuck it up no that's right he didn't and um professional well he would have spent some time on it as the thing about cricket though mm. is that cricket you've got a lot more time for the commentators to talk or like sort of mm. extraneous nonsense yeah. and I think at in rugby league, it's a real shame that there aren't more pauses. I mean, this is a this is a fringe view, mm. but I think if there were more pauses in rugby league, you know, and maybe that era, which is about the time of this game where they used to call it the smoko, like the games would go for two hours mm. and you'd have like three minute breaks at the scrums and all this, it would really give the commentators more scope. There's real bonehead NRL analysts more scope to come up with kind of cooked things to point out. Yeah, yeah, we'd like to hear what Matt Thompson could say in three minutes, wouldn't you? Exactly, except or Braith, for example. Yeah. Oh, um, Braith, Jesus, don't. Yeah. Um, anyhow, the, cow, the the dogs are coming back with ten to go, and there are two magnificent Matthew Bowen runs. One of them, he catches it on the ten, goes past five defenders, mm. um, and is finally dragged down on about halfway. Um, and then a couple of minutes later, he, he only he gets it sort of in the same position, only gets to about 25 metres out, but goes past three, four, five tackles. Um, mm. He's just electric. What did Gus, what, what did Rab say? Electric, uh, electric lightning. 
electric lightning. Yeah, but yeah. that's Nathan Fiend, mate. Oh, I don't yeah, think true. Bowen's got to the Fiend level at this no. point. But um, it's uh, it's a high bar. But no, Jesus, you're good exactly football. right. It's, oh, yeah, it is. I, I was having to think because... I, I can't compare Matt Bowen to anyone. He's this wonderful... Um, and they say that about some of the great players is that they talk about it in the NBA where they're like, can someone else do that for you? So when you, you've signed yeah, yeah. someone, it's like, can someone else do this? Or has he got something that's unique? And Matt Bowen is very much in that category where you go, you, you couldn't... If you want to sign him, you can't skip him and get something else. Like, you, you know, nah. like you can't um, go oh, well, if we don't get that big, fast winger, there is, we can get this guy on a budget. It, it's Matt Bowen or nothing. That's all he, there, there yeah. was if you wanted that player. Um, the, the only thing I could come up with, if we happen to have people that, you know, one day listen to this, they didn't get to see Matt Bowen as much. Different stepping and running style, but the most similar is probably Caelan Ponga um, in the way yeah. that he could just, he had, he could come in and do the kicking. He could come and do the passing and he'd get the ball in backfield with broken lines and go boom, 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 boom. Different way of doing it. Not the big Benji stepping, but that, that sort of, if you had to say the, the way he went about it was, was that sort of thing. And it was also similar in the sense that Ponga so far has had to play in pretty dodgy teams. And a lot of yeah. Bowen's career was like that, where well, he was in the team that would come third and he would somehow carve up like you could play any team in the comp and if he had his day you could get them you know like you're not going to win every single week because your team's not good enough but if he shows up on his day you can get the team that's won 12 over their last 13 you can get the team on 42 points because you can't stop it and the thing that that he has can't stop the thing that he probably has got it all everything yeah the thing that he probably has most in common with ponga is that they the space that they find space where the, nobody else would get through there yep. and then they're gone. Yep. They're, they're 20 yards up yep. the field. Yeah. Um, and if you yeah, give them space, you can't stop them. Like they find space when it's not there. If he gets it in space, it's yeah. over. There's yeah, yeah. no chance yeah. of stopping him with a staggered line. He's just going to make a line break and he's just yeah. going to go through and he can do it. And there's no script he can write to stop this. Like those runs he makes, there is no, you can put Craig Bellamy and the peak salary cap cheating storm on anyone you want in a room and sit down and come up with a plan for that. And if they get, they, they can't stop that. Yeah. <laughs> you can't, no, can't come right. up with a way to stop that. Um, yeah. Now the, uh, so there's a, there are these couple of moments where they're right under pressure and he kind of just gets them out of it, you know, mm. but they're only eight behind with 10 to go and he just gets them up the field. With sheer ability. Sheer yeah, just ability. There's no again. plan, no yeah. thought, just, yeah, ability. Yeah. Um, Stuff that no one else on the field could do. If they kicked that to anyone no. else in the field or nearly anyone else in the game, no matter how good they are, he probably couldn't have done that. It, you know, Minicello, Lockyer, who you want gets it there. They couldn't have got them out of it like Bowen did. It's, no, that's, yeah, that's right. It's just him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then there were a couple of beautiful Brent Sherwin moments late on here where he gets absolutely sacked by Steve Southern and throws an awful forward pass. And then he blocks a kick with his foot and gets dragged into touch by Mitchell Sargent. And that's the point at which with seven to go, eight behind the halfback, and not only the halfback, but like a flary chuck it around, find points from anywhere kind of halfback. is hooked. With the 5'8 off. With the 5'8 off. And Corey yeah, Hughes yeah. comes on. Hmm. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's just, uh, they deserve that for their nepotism they had there for years with this bizarre slavishness to the Hughes and Andersons and all this nonsense. You know, like nobody in their right mind would ever take, I'm not bagging Corey Hughes as a player, but nobody in their right mind in the history of the sport is taking Brent Sherwin off the field for Uh, Corey Hughes. It's ridiculous. Um, He didn't have a good game, but he he didn't, he made mistakes though. He wasn't ineffective. Like he made 
errors. Like he threw the ball out or he flicked past it behind or he kicked out in the full. And what I mean by that is there's ineffective, like we're trying to score and he's just not getting it done. And Chad Townsend had a game like that once where he just couldn't do anything. So they took him off the bird to try and spark it. This was different. He was trying stuff and it wasn't coming off, but you only need it to come off once. Like you're eight, twice at eight behind, but you know what I mean? Like he was trying all this stuff on. Like out of anyone, he was the sort of bloke who would, it doesn't matter how he was playing. He was going to keep doing things and he was good enough that some thing would work well um, he was a good player and he kept trying so you yeah. go well he's trying it on we've just got to hope it sticks here because we can still yeah. get out of this yeah, yeah that's right um but there's a couple of things that sunny but williams is absolutely marauding at this point just throwing himself mm. about clattering into people whole throwing offloads um and then he nearly killed luke o'donnell yeah oh yeah that's unbelievable you killed him that's a it's, it's a very similar shot to the flannery shot in the grand final people will remember yeah it's probably Clinton, second best hit. yeah yeah but th- it was very similar to the flannery one which yeah. is i think probably second most memorable behind the, the clinton one should be you know someone should be arrested for that but um it was it, he he just it murders him and it what just mm. warrants mentioning stunning it yeah, he um, he then the, the dogs with four to go, or five to go. There's a little square ball from Willie Mason. It's quite a nice pass actually at the line. And Rennie Matua throws a lovely quick ball to Willie Tonga, who God, he looks quick, Willie Tonga, doesn't he? Just mm. burns away from Matt Bowen there. Like, we just talked about how fast Matt Bowen was. Willie Tonga just leaves him for dead, like down mm. the sideline. Um, and then it's twenty. First on Willie Tonga, didn't he? Like he, did, he, yeah. he probably didn't reach the heights that very good, good career, good or, good origin career, good career overall. But the way he burst on and he was at the beginning, you sort of thought you might be seeing one of the sort of mm. like Renoff Meninga, English memorable level, different sort of play. But you thought you might be seeing one of those guys that we talked about forever. He was that yeah. that much ability, and yeah, he showed it there. They, they handled him well all game. Bowen and Singh handled him well all game. They handled him. They were up in him, and one chance. One chance they were a bit off, gave him a bit of space, and he caught them immediately. Paul Bowman, Paul Bowman was one of the uh, one of the great defensive centers, wasn't he? <laughs> he was one of those mm, players that was yeah. always talked about his defense. Usually, those mm. guys are talked about because they don't really do anything with the ball, but um, but he was actually a very good defender, um, and that's what I guess why Willie Tonga didn't get a look until the. 76th minute of the game. Interesting. He got run over by Cooper Vunar at Marathon Stadium. Paul Bowman well, never forget. Yeah, so I just want to put that on the record. That happened. That <laughs> happened all for you. Um, yeah. He was then, a very good player. Yeah. El Masri misses the kick, um, and yeah. that has some that has some relevance because you're just it's all set up for the grandstand finish. It's going to happen. They're going to come back. It's 26, 23 to go, mm. and uh, Adam Perry knocks it on. Off and offload from O'Malley, third tackle after the kickoff. Uh, the Cowboys get the ball back, and from 20 out, with absolutely no thoughts of um, trying to grubber it in and get another set and run down the clock, Matty Bowen hoiks it up into the air again. Matt Singh flies like an eagle above the pack and comes down with the ball, 30 to 22. Patrick of bomb tries, the great Unbelievable. man, Matty Singh. Unbelievable. Oh, That's the best of the yeah. lot. It's stunning. Yeah, he he is. Um, I know I talked about his catching and how good of a player he was before. I just want to go on record again. He is one of the great wingers. Um, I'm not going to try and go back for our older listeners and try and compare him to Ken Irvine. <laughs> Let's stick to an era I can remember and say that the NRL era is my era. I was seven in '97, so probably about eight when the NRL starts. I can remember everything since then. He is. 
the best winger of that time is probably he's up there, him or Brett Morris, in my opinion, as the, yep. the best. People will talk about Sailor. Sailor, if you want to watch their best game, yeah, sure, Sailor. But he, he, he peaked for a couple of years and left the sport. He had a good career. Morris and Singh have these giant long periods of just being so good um, in a similar way where they're so good and so professional. The way that Brett Morris the other week is chasing down people and making double tackle, like chasing down a tackle then chasing down the guy past to sing was like that like at the start of his career and at the last dying breath he had of his career he's tackling matt utai's level players yeah. into touch he's catching bombs like you know they have the spark and ability that other guys had matt sing scored some great tries brett morris scored some worldies but it, do you know what i mean with the similarities that that yeah. way of always being in the right spot making the right tackle catching all those bombs and doing every little thing right and having that upside that you can't teach the upside but no, not no, everyone that not. has that. Akiliwate has the upside, but Akiliwate never mastered the making the tackles, catching the bombs. Like there's stuff, the professional and desire and other things. You have to have both. And some players have one, some players have the other. These two guys had both and were able to be wonderful for long periods. And he is as good as any winger that has been around and he should be talked about in those conversations. And absolutely. not enough. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. He, he, was, um, <clears throat> he was fantastic and... You know that that try that he scores for for the moment of the game that it is the opposition that you know um, it's it's superb uh, and of course yeah. the but the, the El Masri kick has some relevance here right because the dogs mm. there's still a minute to go and they don't take the short kick off because they're eight yeah. behind because mm. it doesn't matter like they can't they can't win. Um, well, it's funny you mention that because Hane misses that goal and it's really, yeah. really funny because it's the best thing I've ever seen. There's a minute left on the clock. Hane has a kickable goal, misses it, and is running back, pumping his arms in the air at the crowd <laughs> after duffing this conversion. Much in the, like, much in the manner of... quite badly and he's running back. Yeah, a minute ago, just pumping the arm in the air, pumping it back at the crowd, whooping up this missed conversion. <laughs> much in the manner of uh, really tricky, tri- tricky Trindle. Um, in the, yeah, uh, yeah, in but the, the South, the South Canterbury, yeah, games. it's not over. He, he did, but the, there's just something funny about the fact that the clocks. Not, I know that, that it was the same objectively. The game's yeah, yeah. over either way, but the game's like still going, and this guy's like, "Yeah, let's have some of that." Look at me, miss goal, really whooping. <laughs> it's good. It's great, and like I get it. They, they'd never played a final. They'd have a win like that. It's just very funny. Very funny. And so that, that that's it. Thirty twenty two. Um, the very funny thing about this is that. <laughs> Saints get eliminated because of this. I meant to talk about that. The McIntyre. What we didn't talk about was the machinations of the McIntyre. Yes, which we've probably done enough. But yeah. yeah, so this is a game. This was that wonderful era where, because of the way the top eight worked under the McIntyre, with the two lowest losers going out, you can have games where not only the, the, the people who've already played in the finals that weekend can objectively be affected by this result. Like their team, whether they go through or not, can yeah. be affected. So Penrith uh, from memory beat the Dragons. I haven't right. checked this, but they got a long, the Dragons got 16 or 18 behind and came storming back under Nathan Brown's coaching and nearly won it. They lost by about two points. 31-30. Thanks very much. Did they? Yeah, oh. well, they were down 18. Was it, was it 18? They were down 18 or 20 nil or 16, something like that. They were down three tries early. And they were down 24 back. nil after half an hour. There you go. So I've undersold yeah. it. Yeah. Mm. There's a big Luke Bailey line break in the comeback. I remember that well. Well, you wouldn't and forget that. No. And, and all of a sudden, you're watching this game and they were supposed to win that. They nearly pulled it out of nowhere. And all of a sudden... 
that game, you don't know what it means. That's the odd thing. You lose 31-30 and don't know what it means yet. Yeah. And then you watch this game and not only are the Bull- like the Cowboys fans are stupidly invested, the Bulldogs fans too, but they can't go out. So they're sort of invested. Uh, the Cowboys fans are madly invested and the Bloody Dragons fans are madly invested because their whole season hinges on a game that their team's not playing in. It's That's quite, right. Isn't it funny? Like, it is. Like, it's, it's, you forget, how do we tolerate this? There should not be a system where you follow a team that played that week and you're sitting there riding the, another game to decide what happens to you. It's, it's mental. And the thing about it, this is very funny because the, yeah. they've copped it twice, right? So the Dragons finished fifth. So they go yeah. into the they go into the Saturday thing, and they will be okay here. We only need one of the um, we only need one like one of the sixth, seventh, or eighth can win, and we'll still be okay. And like one one of them, like the Roosters aren't going to lose, the Bulldogs aren't going to lose, so like it's going to be fine. And then Melbourne roll Brisbane thirty one fourteen sixth as sixth versus third uh, in the early game. And then all of a sudden the Cowboys are 16 nil in front and the Dragons are in huge trouble. So I suspect that what probably happened is that the Dragons fans didn't think they were in any trouble until the Cowboys jumped out to this lead because there was no yeah. prospect the Cows were going to win. Um, yeah. And all of a sudden, oh, hang on. <laughs> and so the Dragons in the space of four hours go from wondering who they're going to play next week to being out of the competition, having lost by yeah. a point. It's I know they lost, so you can't go out of the finals by winning. So that's a you know a point that you still have your own fate. But it's just this sense that it's just a hollow way to go, isn't it? There's just a sense you should play for it, and that's yeah. there's faults in the current system. But you play for something now. You play for a week off, or you play to win or lose. And when you don't win, you're out. It's but this feeling that you win and it might you lose and it might matter or it might not even for the week off the way you could come third or fourth win and not know if you got the week off until yeah. the other teams. You know, because someone obviously what fourth ended up with the week off here, presumably. Uh, uh, third, yeah. Sorry. yeah, fourth, yeah, Penrith. fourth, Penrith, yeah. yeah, Penrith. The Penrith get the week off, but so you know, Penrith having won by a point, yeah, week off, yeah. and the team that they beat by a point get eliminated. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's quite a stunning result. It, <laughs> it is. Um, the other thing that's worth mentioning, sort of about the McIntyre system, is just that. This game, which we love, and there's another one we'll have to do at some point, which is where the Warriors win it from eighth against Melbourne. Oh, yeah, we'll yeah, definitely yeah. cover that. Um, these games, these wonderful games, we remember them so well because they were horribly rare, is what we usually got to watch is usually the first week of the finals was a complete pisser. Yeah, it was eighth and seventh getting slaughtered by yeah. 30 points because you got in a 16-team comp, or even less than, wasn't it? It was a 14-team. Like, how mm. many teams were in the comp? Uh, this would have you been 15 at this point. Yeah, 15. So you got a 15-team competition and the eighth best team is playing the best team yeah. and quite often losing by 30 or 40 points. It happened quite a lot. Well, and the other guys... Um, yeah. On the Sunday, these the... wonderful games that, that can yeah. happen now, but they were re- they, this result and the Warriors one, which we'll definitely do, were very much the outlier to absolute pastings. Yeah, you didn't see seventh and eighth. You'd see sixth get up a bit, but you wouldn't see seventh and eighth mm. win very often. And the, you know, the Raiders got crushed on the Sunday, thirty-eight to twelve by the Roosters. You know, mm. um, yeah, it, it's um, no, you're absolutely right. It, it was a um, it was a terrible system. I, the, the knockout games in the first week of the finals now are fantastic. You know? Yeah, because it's, it's just desperation and they're about level. Like fifth and eighth and the top close four, enough to get a Royal game. Mm. And the top four games are really good because it's the big kind of chances to win the comp kind of banging into each other and it's a bit of a cider mm. and all of that. Um, yeah. Yeah, it is. But anyway, um, there are some scenes at the end of this game 
of Graham Murray uh, coming down the coming down the grandstand, just grinning. I've never seen anyone grin this much. He looks so pleased um, and chuffed at the result. Why wouldn't he be? Um, mm. I I know you've looked sort of wanted to talk a bit about Graham Murray. He probably a little bit underappreciated. For, for yeah, I think, he, I, I think he was. Um, as an aside, just before I go dive into him, because he's how I'd like to finish what I have to say, is that firstly, you wouldn't see a coach react like that now. And I think it's wonderful he did. And they need to understand those moments. Those moments mean a lot to fans. And what you would see now is um, these dour sort of, not to pick on this guy particularly, but like Anthony Seabold types that would dourly come out. Or Anthony Griffin was a shocker. They come out with this sour puss look on their face going, got to play next week. You know, it doesn't yeah, yeah. mean anything if we don't win next week. Like, you know, yeah, they're, they're, not to pick on those two, but that would be what you get. This no, dour downplaying. And he, he's come out of the box, walked through the crowd, smiling, shaking hands and high-fiving fans and laughing and enjoying this because he should. It's a big moment. And it is also a and game. It's, it's lovely. It's, it's sort lovely. of you know, yeah, yeah. Like, don't suck the joy out of it. It's wonderful. There should be more of it. But that aside, yes, I'd like to talk about Graham Murray. So um, I think he's got a really underappreciated coach of the modern era. Uh, I think he suffers quite badly from this horrible binary view that we have in rugby league that other sports don't share. For the record, of looking at you either one or you didn't. Mm. Oh, this guy won three premierships. Oh, he didn't win a grand final. Or he didn't win this. Or he won six grand finals. This guy won two. This isn't how it works. Like, in American sports, they have this lovely way. There's this real memory. They do documentaries and shows on teams that actually didn't win. Like, teams that went, oh, that team for three years made it to the finals twice. And they had this lovely run. They talk about those things as memorable and, and they're worth celebrating. And the fact that you didn't get the ultimate prize doesn't wipe you from existing. Yeah. You can be really celebrated. Of course, the goal's to win. And, you know, there's a reason Michael Jordan's considered the best basketballer, not the guys who, 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 he bought, who he beat. But those guys can still be celebrated and looked at really positively. And we don't do that enough in league. And, and to run you through Graham Murray's record, it's just a record of outstanding excellence at mediocre clubs that no one else got anything out of. And Well, it sounds start... like you're about to dive into a similar soliloquy to your one about the walk last week. Yeah, it's similar. It's similar, except that the you know the walk, the, the walk. <laughs> I I take the walk if that's what you're asking. No, but, me. but you know um, it's the yeah. same kind of thing yeah. of clubs that weren't that weren't successful yep. other than when he yep. was there. That's right. Uh, Graham Murray starts his career right at Penrith as a reserve grade coach in '87, and he wins a reserve grade grand final. And I only flag that because if you look at the success that follows him, is that he he wins with this group of players that then go on to make a run of grand finals from '90 90 to '91, mm-hmm. like an unsuccessful club. And he's gone in there, and a, a few guys talk pretty positively about him. And he's is, you know, in an era where reserve grade mattered, he's got a lot of the young guys that have gone on to something and had a bit of an imprint on Penrith having some success. And he finally gets his own job in 1991 um, for the Steelers uh, and coaches the Steelers. Can I just give you, you did a history of the Cowboys. Can I give you a history of results at um, the Steelers before him? Okay. So from inception up until Graham Murray, 13th, 12th, 9th, 13th, 13th, 11th, 13th, 16th, 9th. Okay. Um, Graham Murray walks into that side whose best ever results have been two ninths. He takes them over and gets them to eighth in the first year, which isn't the finals back then, but it's no. their best ever season. That's now their best result ever. He then takes them to third. 
yeah. the next year and makes them, like he did at the Cowboys, takes a club that doesn't do this on their first finals run. And by every account, and I haven't seen enough of it to say that, by every account, they make a real stint in those finals. Yeah, well, my understanding um, is that they mm. were they got a really shonky decision against Alan McIndoe in the mm. in-goal, the in-goal touch he called no try. They lost, mm. I think they lost the semi 2 nil. Or four yeah. two or something odd to um to St George um that would we, I'd actually like to cover I'd like to do the game yeah if, if we can find a replay of it but um yeah they, apparently they were very unlucky yeah so he makes a run you know and like the cows once he got there he meant it like he's nearly mm. got through and, and made a bit of a run um he then takes them to seventh and sixth so again it's outside the finals in those days but every result he had is better than anyone had ever got at the club yeah. so. Yeah. Like third, seventh, and sixth is no, they'd never finished that high. And he ends up getting, getting dicked as part of Super League because he thought it was in their interest to go to Super League and organize some meetings. And he was the only coach, administrator, or official to get sacked as a result of Super League. Yeah. Um, I'm going to hit you with the Steelers' results after him just to have sure. an idea of the impact he had. Okay, so he took them to eighth, third, seventh, sixth. They then went 12th, 14th, 6th, 12th. Wow. So he immediately leaves. They immediately. Sixth, sixth is in the ARL as well. Yep. So they drop to 12th, 14th, then they go to 6th in a split comp and 12th. So they have one result in those four years that's equal to anything he did in half a competition. Um, So they immediately go back to what they were. The only spark they ever had was under him. He goes to the Mariners, which is the worst job (laughs) you could imagine taking. He went to Newcastle and coached not the Knights. People were breaking the windows there was business boycotts organised by local yeah. business owners. That they, they were organising bans for anyone who sponsored them. They had their merchandise banned from being in shops. They couldn't show the posters in Hunter Street, in Newcastle, all of this stuff. He goes there and they make that final and they, whatever it was, the Challenge Cup or whatever. What do they call the, that? World, World the, Club um, Challenge, yeah. World Club Challenge, yeah. So he makes a final in that sort of comp they had. In terms of the regular season, and I know that should be looked at because that was a, supposed to be a legitimate comp. Um, in the in the regular season, he comes six out of tenth. Okay, not brilliant, but I'm going to give you one thing there. He beats every single other expansion club. That every club, the way the Super League shook out, anyone who wants to say it was a great comp, look again, <laughs> yeah. because the first five teams were every team that already existed before '95, I should say. So let's yeah. count the Cowboys and Warriors and Reds as new. Um, every club that was existing already just shattered in and came one to five. And every yeah. club that was new stunk and finished six to 10 <laughs> and got nowhere near the top clubs. So of every expansion side, he beat every other one. So he yeah. did better than any other coach who took over a team that wasn't established, finished six out of 10, beat all of them. So, you know, I'm going to call that a pretty good pass mark at that club. And then all of his players go to Melbourne and, and are pretty successful and win a comp. He goes to Leeds. He goes to the Rhinos, takes him to the Super League final, straight up. Next year, wins the Challenge Cup. So he's gone and won England. 2000, he signs with the Bears, who uh, then merge with the Northern Eagles and he doesn't get the job. Lost opportunity for him to make another pointless run through the finals for three yeah, well, with yeah, the Bears. Yeah, well, it's true. Could have got them. Um, to, they could have been yeah, in another prelim. Yeah, yeah, that's two prelims in Graham Murray. But anyway, so he then gets the East job, which is very funny because, I mean, if you the way we think about East, the idea of them taking the bears off cut coach is very low. Yeah. Anyway, um, he goes to East, takes him to a grand final in his first season there. Um, and they were on the rise and a good team, but you know, they took over from Phil Gould. It didn't get him to one. I just want that noted. Been to one it, since 1980. Yeah, that's right. So he took him. Yeah. So he goes to a club that hadn't been since 1980, takes him straight to one, gets sacked the next season off finishing sixth. Yeah. Um, put that on the record. And I know they go on to win the comp the next year. So it's hard to, 
judge mm. and Gus has mm. a history of doing this to coaches. But, um, he, you know, he came sixth. They got really rolled by the Knights in the finals. And, you know, they, that could happen. The Knights were pretty handy yeah. to win the comp. And, they beat you know, Brisbane 40-0 that same season on a similar sort yeah, of day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they, they were up 24-0 in the grand final. In the grand final, final yeah. Yeah, and then he goes to the Cowboys. So after he goes to the Cowboys, um, the Cowboys, he immediately takes over mid-season in 02, takes him to their best result ever, which was 11th. (laughs) But nonetheless, that is their best result ever. Yeah. Um, Apart from Super League, where they finished 10th, which was... 10th out of 10. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. so he takes him to their best result ever. 03, the same result. So, you know, two mediocre seasons that are nonetheless as good as anything anyone else had ever done. Goes to the finals, makes that run, gets him in the seventh, and makes a run through the finals from seventh off the Bulldogs. Then they got stiffed in the sem- in the prelim too. By the way, I just want I would yeah, be remiss me to talk about this wonderful side. They got really roasted in, the se- in that mm. preliminary final by the officials. They did, yeah, they did. It was really upsetting. Um, he then takes him to a grand final the next year. He has the foresight to sign Jonathan Thurston. <laughs> it sounds obvious now, but yeah. other people didn't. You know, like every other club could have signed Jonathan Thurston. Uh, Brings in Thurston, takes him to the grand final, uh, which they, unfortunately for them and fortunately for Benji, uh, they, they don't win. So he then goes through and they come ninth. They miss the final. So let's call that a down year. It happens to people. He then takes him back to third. So after yo-yoing out, he takes him back to the third. And all of a sudden, he's taken him to the, to the semis three times in the last four years, missed him once, only just. And he then, in 2008, they're going shocking by May and he leaves in May. Um, he might've had health problems as well. I can't remember, mm. but he leaves in any case. So he leaves in May. They finished 15th that year. Uh, they weren't going well when he left, but so, you know, they don't do well then. But what I want to note is I want to do what I did with the Steelers. And you want to say, righto, they left. What happened afterwards? Well, in 09, the year after he left, they finished 12th with Jonathan Thurston. They finished yeah. 12th in 2010. They finished 15th with Jonathan Thurston and Matt Bowen. And in 2011, they finish 7th and scrape back into the finals. So yeah. after taking them to a club where he goes 11th, 11th, uh, into the finals or into the prelim, into a grand final, misses the finals, then comes third. After he goes 15th, 12th, 15th, 7th, before they build themselves back up. So it is not the case that someone else... Like, there's this weird narrative that he couldn't get them over the line bullshit they fell right off the cliff when he left as did the Steelers as did any club you know he was involved with apart from the Roosters who, who he inherited he didn't build them up so he coached a good side well at the Roosters to a grand final every other club he had was complete garbage and he got <laughs> results out of them no they seriously were yeah, no, no, absolutely. we that, love that this Steelers Cowboys side terrible, that, those, yeah. club, those clubs suck yeah. <laughs> Cowboys no, no, suck terrible. up to them no, we love that side and they well, but that, they, you just always you joke. just always beat them yeah they're the Titans now yeah. That's what they were. They were like yeah. that. You didn't even think about them. You just looked at it and penciled in two points. The Steelers never had any success. He coached these sides. He grafted them up the table. And because he didn't win a comp, he doesn't get the credit reserved. He's not spoken about anymore as being a good coach. And he's one of the really great coaches. And I personally, you know, um, in the depths that the Knights fell to, if he was around, um, obviously, sadly, not with us anymore. If he had been around and, and, and in his prime and coaching, I would have thought nothing better than to have yep. had him come to the club at the time we had Nathan Brown or Rick Stone or even, even Adam O'Brien. When those times have come, I would have been thrilled to bits to have a guy of this ability and to add in, not that it matters 
for coaching records. He is, by every account, one of the nicest people to ever be involved in the sport. And I just wanted to put out there, I know I've thrown a lot of stats at you, a bit of history corner. I just want all on the record that Graham Murray had a wonderful career as a coach. And he should be celebrated as a real leader of the Steelers and a leader of the Cowboys and everything that's happened there. He deserves a big hand in. Fantastic, Gazzy. Uh, this is becoming a wonderful regular feature of the... Uh, of the of the rugby league cemetery, the this this Gazzy's kind of historical revisionism corner, uh, and I'm I'm right with you. I must say, I, I thought the same thing about Graham Murray. I've never quite got into the detail like that, um, so it's very funny to hear that that record, particularly at the Steelers, which I knew that the Cowboys mm. were terrible until he took over, but I didn't realise the Steelers were as well mm. to that extent. Same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and went no, straight back. Both clubs just yep. dropped straight back <clears throat> off. There's not a sense that you no. know he failed or, or dropped off when they didn't have him. They just went with the same team. They could they just went back to what, you know, what they were doing yeah. before. No, that's, uh, that's marvelous. Gazzy, thank you for that. Um, I think people, are, you know, there'll be people, I hope there'll be people listening to this in their cars or at home, kind of giving you a round of applause. Not only the, <laughs> the rigor with which you've presented that case, but also the passion. Um, <laughs> Yeah, you'd like I have, to think so. Is there anything else? Anything else you'd like to add? I, I would like to say that uh, this Cowboys side is one of my favourite sides of all time, and that their run through the finals is my favourite. I think it's my favourite, like plucky semi-finals run. You can talk all this rubbish about Parramatta. I don't care about Parramatta. This is the one. This Cowboys team, mm. and uh, and they should have been. They should have made the. They, they should have beaten the Roosters that day. Um, one of the worst pieces of refereeing I've ever seen. They had a scrum ten metres out on the siren. The referee called time off and the siren went off. Explain that. Anyway. No, I can't. I can't. Neither can I. You're, Aesthetic. You're exactly right. This was a lovely team. Um, a great side. Bowen, Ty Williams, you know. Uh, Matt Paul Singh. Rahihi. Matt Singh. Paul Rahihi is one of my favourite players in the history yeah. of the sport. So dirty on him the night. Let him go. Let him go. The, the year that Tony Butterfield retired and the Chief had just gone, what's doing? Yeah. Luke O'Donnell, I love Luke yeah. O'Donnell. I love Louis Southern. I love Aaron Payne. I love all of them. I love the Deep North. I love it. It's so there. do I. Good luck to them. We'll be, uh, you just wait in a couple of days. This will be, they'll be playing this on loop in the Mad Cow. You can't boogie in there at the moment. So this is what they'll be doing. They'll be on the Bundy Rums listening to this podcast. And, right, and I hope you all, I hope all you people listening in towns will raise a Bundy to the sky in, cell, in, in recognition of this wonderful North Queensland side, in recognition of the great Graham Murray. Uh, we'll leave it at that. Gazzy, thank you as always for joining us on the Rugby League Cemetery. Hope you've enjoyed us and hope you join us next time. Fifth and last. Dummy half is Hanne. Hanne goes to the right. Miles is with the ball. Bowen decides to go for the kick. It's in the air. Underneath and over there. You... Oh, he's done it again. Manny Singh. Manny Singh has scored a try. He's third in the game. What a magnificent catch. Matthew Singh flying high. He's done it all night. He may as well have been a pilot. He's been airborne since the start of the evening.